1: Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. One of the most troubled episodes we've ever recorded. We've been working on this one for a couple days now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, Between
2: babies and technology, we've been felled a few times, but Yes. But we will not be up. stopped.
1: We will not be Ho- stopped.
2: <laughs> hopefully we won't be rope-doped by more uh, infants and <laughs> yes, overheating
1: or uh, or cashew consumption.
2: I'm zipping the bag up as we speak. Yes. No more nut bar cashews for me. <laughs> it's like you're fucking doing the camel cash.
1: <laughs> All right, uh, guys, we are back. Uh, we got a lot to talk about in the intro here, so I don't want to waste too much time because we got you know we want to talk about what we've been watching, obviously, but we also want to talk about Horror Hound Weekend. So uh, we are going to be covering uh, the Friends of Eddie Coyle, which uh, was from 1973, I believe. Another film. We cover a lot of movies from 1973. That's the year man Seems to be the year The year I was born It's kind of weird My son agrees obviously And uh, we are also covering uh, Rolling Vengeance From uh, what is it 85? 80, 85 I think 86? Uh, 87 Yo Whoa <laughs> Even worse Rolling Vengeance uh, Yeah <laughs> <laughs> But uh, a little Canucksploitation uh, No real known names Behind that Except Ned Beatty and Maybe you know A couple other little Minor actors here and there Although Uncle cool cat Chris Has got a lot to say About it The feedback Yes. All right, so let's get into what we've been watching, and then we'll address a few other things. So, Large William, what have you been watching?
2: Well, I said a few weeks ago, I was at 4.30. I had to get to 500. That's I have really i am fucking fading down the stretch. like the Trailblazers versus the Lakers about six or seven years ago in the playoffs, man. Just colossal meltdown. I think since we last did an episode, I've watched, uh, other than our films, I've watched two films. I've watched the Simpson movie. Um, it was kind of... In two sittings and not fully paying attention, it was with my son. He wanted to watch it. He's obsessed with my Simpsons DVD on the shelf. Right. Um, I have to say, man, I got to find a pretty stale. Yeah.
1: Pretty
2: well, stale. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you're you're probably talking to the world's most un Simpson fan. Uh, I don't. Okay. I, I really don't like the Simpsons, so I could can see that.
2: Yeah, I mean a few few laughs, but on the whole, pretty stale. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, something completely different, uh, inspired by an amazing book that I'm going to have to courier back to Randy. That. You and I talked about almost immediately. It was a exploitation film called Blue Demon and Doctor Zovek versus the Invasion of Death.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice.
2: <laughs> no subtitles. Normally, I'm not one to do that, but I had a bit of a fever for some Mexican trash. Um, I'm going to have to pow out with the loaf and get some good Renee Cardona films.
1: I'd be amazed if Loaf could find some of those from that poster book we saw because uh, there's some really obscure stuff in there, man.
2: <laughs> uh, I know Randy had talked about finding a, a Latin American or South American source. Nice. To find these films. So, hopefully, you know, maybe he knows of a vendor or someone we can uh, we can get into. But yeah, that's all I've watched, man. We'll, we'll talk about Horrorhound, I guess, after right. you've gotten into your stuff.
1: All right. I'll tear it through. I got a lot. So, I'll tear it through pretty quick. Uh, one I forgot to mention last week Assault of the Sasquatch. This is a Sasquatch movie I was kind of excited about because I saw a steal from it with a Sasquatch holding a revolver. So I was kind of hoping. That, <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was going to be like you know Sasquatch running around shooting people, <laughs> doing some John Woo type stuff. Uh, Say La Vie. It wasn't to be. Uh, but hey, you know, it, it, I had hopes. It's just a standard kind of goofy, little hyper-violent Sasquatch movie. Uh, not not very good though. Uh, that was a Netflix instant watch, by the way. Uh, I watched another thirty for thirty. Uh, I watched uh, the best that never was about uh i forget the running back's name now but uh he was gonna they say he was gonna be the next uh you know great running back and he played for oklahoma and he was just a pretty amazing athlete and stuff and the stuff just didn't work out for him he had a terrible knee injury and this thing's never really worked out so uh, really good man it's a two-hour one but it's one of the best ones i've seen uh definitely check that one out i forget the guy's name why can i not remember his name all of a sudden
2: Let's take like the point guard, Randy Livingston, who's supposed to be better, like a significantly better version of Iverson. Yes. And I think his high school senior year, I think his high school senior year, he blew out both with ACLs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, you know, I mean, we are fragile. We are human beings, so it doesn't Tragic, always work out. No. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that one out if you guys are into the sports documentaries. Uh, I watched another documentary called War Torn, 1861 to 2010. This is executive producer James Gaddafini. It's basically about post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, disturbing imagery in it, uh, not for everybody. Some war violence, some extreme war violence, so be warned if you do decide to watch this. I wasn't quite ready for it, by the way. <laughs> I was a little surprised at the amount of gore I saw. Uh, Cloak and Dagger, I watched. I revisited that after you guys reviewed I meant to revisit it a long time ago, but uh, finally got around to it, Watching an HD cut on HD net. I uh, like the film, you know, I still like it. Uh, it's, I'm always amazed at how violent it is. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, how kids' movies were just so violent back in the day, man. It's just kind of amazing to me. Oh, yeah. It's really weird when you come back and look for look at it differently now. Uh, I watched Catfish, the documentary Catfish. Uh, it was good. Uh, don't really know how I feel about it. I can't talk a whole lot about it for those that don't want to ruin any spoilers or anything. So, But it was good. Uh, I would recommend it. won't be on my top ten list or anything like that, but it was really good. Uh, Salt I watched. I have to agree with you. It's a good little action movie. It's not bad at all. Sorry, which one was that? Salt.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Tight little. Yeah,
1: for yeah, sure. An hour and a half. Good little action movie. It's not, it's not reinventing the wheel or anything. But it's, uh, it's a good little action movie. Angelina Jolie does need to eat a few more peanut butter sandwiches, though. After Grew Doc peanut on. butter and banana. Yes, fried. fried. Yes, there we go. <laughs> With some cashews on top. Yes. All right. Uh, I watched uh, Young Sherlock Holmes, which oh, is wow. uh, Yeah, the uh, – I forgot Barry Levison directed. I always thought Robert Zemeckis did for some reason. But uh. it was Barry Levison. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's good. Again, another one of those weird children's movies that was a little bit more horror-oriented than I recall it being when I was a child. Maybe that's why I liked it so much when I was a child. It's good. Look forward to watching again one day, maybe with my son or something. You know, he's a little older. It falls right in that, you know, like, 8-13 uh, ballpark where, you know, stuff's just harsh enough and not not harsh, not harsh too harsh or whatever. So, kind of fun. Uh, S&M Man, this is definitely not one to watch with your kid. Uh, a <laughs> little documentary action from J.T. Petty. Good good documentary. Came out in 2005. I've never caught up with it until now. So, uh, less said about it, the better. I'll let everybody else check it out. Uh, watched Rankin and Bass's Return of the King. I have no idea why. I, th- I think because my son was in my lap and he likes colorful things on the TV. And he was being really fussy last night. And so I thought threw on Return of the King, uh, which is basically Rankin and Bass's telling of the uh, basically Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, you know, kind of silly. He got some music in it and stuff. But again, it's colorful and, and kind of interesting and stuff. So, you know, it, it held his attention, to say the least, <laughs> for at least 20, at least 20 seconds anyway. Yeah, I know. That's about the amount of his attention span right now right now he's chewing on a fist and i'm waiting for the inevitable you know you know fuck you dad yeah (laughs) there it comes (laughs) secret origin the story of dc comics uh this is just a kind of a documentary on dc comics nothing new here if you know a lot about comics but entertaining nonetheless and less less uh and then of course we had uh technological problems this morning so i managed to get two more films in before we got back to recording (laughs) so i got the, the descent part two in uh which I guess would be a good horror film for somebody who never watches horror films. But if you watch horror films, this is just an exercise in jump scares. Oh, God. So it's, 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 it's pretty atrocious in that way. I mean, you know, I like I say, if you never watch horror films, you'll think it's scary. But if you watch horror films, you'll see everything coming a mile away. And, uh, you know, it got some pretty good gore in it and stuff and some silly moments and some good moments. But it's it's definitely a film of moments, not a good movie. Uh, and I watched Kick-Ass again, uh, which I still loved. I still loved it quite a bit. Actually, I like it more, I think, now than I did before. But again, we'll talk about that maybe another time. But that is all I watched. And that was a lot. Jesus. Um, okay. So we did attend the Horror Hound weekend. And, uh, with quite a few others, we had a very good time. Uh, including my son, who eventually showed up on Saturday night. He made his present stone, didn't you? Yeah, you did. And uh, you know we had a good time. Uh, is there anything? Is there some stuff you want to discuss about it, Will? If it was your first time to a Horror Hound,
2: yeah, uh, it was, and it was the GGTMC's first time together on American soil. Yes, so, yes. um You know, this weekend had been highly anticipated by everyone for a long time because it was the first chance after a few years of talking to people and, and like-minded people and kind of getting to know people on a personal level through Facebook and Twitter and the boards and stuff that wasn't always film-related. Um, It was our first chance to kind of meet face-to-face, get to know each other, have drinks, laughs, etc. And as high of expectations as I had for the weekend, they were just utterly surpassed in every capacity. Um, You know, uh, just, you know, I I truly now consider, you know, everyone that we spent that time with, you know, a dear, I mean, I already consider them to be good friends, but, you know, just dear, dear friends. And it was one of the best weekends I've had in, in as long as I can remember. I mean, I was just... Know, very happy, very on cloud nine. Had a bit of a hangover when I got back, figurative, figuratively, figuratively, figurative yes. speaking, not nice. literally. I actually surprisingly felt a lot better than I thought I would or than I had any business to feel. Right, right. Um, but I just I want to thank everyone that was there with us and and um, and and you know shared in our weekend because it was it was wonderful and I'm glad we got a lot of pictures. I can't wait to see Emily's ghost camera pictures. Um,
1: <laughs> Me either. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and and thank you to Randy for chronicling a lot and and really kind of being a point man and, and organized uh, you know the whole way through um, and everything else and everyone else. Uh, it's certainly not the last time we're gonna. I'll powwow and drink and be merry.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping more people, uh, you know, not just some of the people that came this time, but some more people will uh, make the trek to Indy in March. Uh, but, you know, those who can, I understand. I mean, it is, for some, it's a very expensive trip. It's not cheap and, and whatnot. But, you know, if anybody can go, um, try to go. Uh, it's a good time. You know, it's a small horror convention. It's a good one to support. Um, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I always have fun. My only regret ever at these things, is I never feel like I spend enough time with everybody. But that's yeah, just because tough. you're so overwhelmed by how many people you got, you know, in front of you and how many things, you know, you think, oh, man, when when uh, Dylan comes down, I'm going to talk to him about this. And, and actually, there was some good things me and Dylan talked about, but it was before everybody really showed up. And once everybody showed up, it just kind of became, you know, just kind of chaos. And, uh, you know, I had to leave for a while, but I came back with my wife and son and stuff. And it was kind of great. I told Will off the air. It was kind of like a melding of my two worlds together, uh, you know, my private life and my my hobby and stuff, and uh, it was a very good time. And the little guy enjoyed himself, and I think everybody enjoyed the little guy, and and we had a good time. Uh, it was he, re- it was really great.
2: He certainly was. He he went over huge, uh, obviously. <laughs> yes. And and something I forgot to mention um, was yeah, it was wonderful for me because I consider you just a dear, dear, dear friend. You know, you and I talk a lot about stuff that's not film related, and to finally meet your wife and your son, yes. Was amazing for me too because you've met my my family right. So right. for me to meet your wife and son, it was just a, it was it was a great great feeling on top of everything else.
1: Yeah, it was you know impo- I mean? it was just, important to me. I mean, you were only an hour and a half away. <laughs> I told you this when I was at the pizza place. Yeah. You're only an hour and a half away. It just didn't make any sense for me to wait for another year for you to meet my wife or my son. So I was like, you know what, let's just throw him in the car and we'll just you know since he's only an hour and a half for me, and so we'll just drive up and you know we can meet everybody, including Will and uh you know have a good time my wife was like i asked her once and she literally took it took her two seconds to say okay let's do it
2: so. which is great because let's be honest like you know when when you're like the outsider like your wife is like my wife would be they want to support us but at the same time it's it's a bit daunting and a bit kind of well you know what am i getting into but yeah she was you know great sport and your son was was cooler than billy d all night man like yeah yeah you know i don't think you really <laughs> cried once uh you know, arm wrestle, won a few arm wrestling contests, surprisingly. Yes, so, yes, you know, he, yes. He
1: would I'll turn his, so. he's turned his red hat around backward right before the match, though. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it took me over the top. I'm not ashamed to admit. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a great time. And for those of you I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with, I'll try to next time. I promise uh, there's a lot of people there. And it was, it was a really good time. Um, I look forward to seeing all of you again at some point, I hope. And uh, some of you again in March. Um, you know, but for all you guys who didn't participate or didn't go, please do yourself a favor. Try to find a way to go. Uh, it's a really good time, and especially for, you know, a community building thing and, and all that stuff. It's really great to put uh, faces to names and voices and stuff, and and uh, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, Dylan and Christine kept saying it's really weird to be around you because I hear you all the time in my ears and stuff, but it's weird for me too because I hear, well, at least I hear Christine anyway, on voicemails and stuff, and I've t- I communicated with them all the time and stuff, but I've never really been face-to-face with them, so it's always a, a weird experience to say the least, but it's uh, an enlightening and and uh, an experience that, you know, I cherish. And it's always good to see Randy. I must, I, I cannot say enough good things about Randy uh, Damocles66. He, uh, he is one of my dearest friends at this point. And he is a great guy and uh, a great uh, documenter of uh, podcasting and, and a great giver of gifts. He's just, the, he's just the greatest, man. He's a great guy.
2: He certainly is. Um, and I know Vish and I were talking about it afterwards. And uh, he said, was anyone different than what you thought? Or were you surprised? And I said, you know what? Not at all. You know, everyone was what I sound like Dennis Green now. You know, everyone was who I thought they would be. Yes. You know, and that that was the, which which is great people.
1: Yes. So. Yes, it's amazing. It's almost you feel like a family immediately. It's amazing. We all sat down to dinner, and it's like it's like a, it was like a gigantic family dinner.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it was, man. It, it just <laughs> yeah, I really felt like that. Yeah, that was our family. Like you know, the pile of our massive in massive yeah. house
1: the, so. with the tasty Reuben and. Uh, Malt liquor, or not malt liquors, but the uh, Newcastle. Yeah, the winter ales, the thick. The beer. ales, yeah. <laughs> but it was a great time. So that's what we wanted to say about that. So I hopefully, you know, we'll see more people soon, and uh, hopefully we'll mean you'll get back together another one pretty soon. But you know, if it's not yeah. in March, I understand. Trust me, it's that that is only four or five months away. So totally understood. That is a it is an expensive venture, not just financially, but you know, time away from family, things like that. It's it's not easy to always do. But I'm hoping that like at least once a year we can all get together in some capacity like that.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, man. It'd be great. And then, yeah, that's the thing. I kept seeing like parents with their children. and be like, man, I miss my wife and kids like as amazing of a time as it was. You know, you can't help but miss your.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's always when I was there Friday night, I was there by myself and I was showing pictures of my son to everybody. And it was it was all I could do not to tear up because I missed him, you know. Sure. man. No, it's true. That's true. That's just the way it goes. So it was great when I came back and I had him with me because then I didn't have to worry about missing him because he's right there. So drinking JMB, right no. <laughs> oh yeah it's throwing them back man. <laughs> no no all right uh so kick back by lumberjack all right so uh we're gonna take a break and i think when we come back we'll do let's do rolling vengeance first because i got a feeling we'll have more to say about eddie coil and i kind of want to want to make sure you know our timing is good so that way i can kind of control the editing on air of eddie coil as opposed to afterwards okay all right so we'll be back and talk a little rolling vengeance we'll be back right after this Sure.
3: New for 2010, it's East
4: Coast meets West Coast, Bringing you all the best punk rock, hardcore, and everything in between. Stage dives and high fives, with your host, Bill by Force, Massachusetts Represent and S-13, a California love motherfucker. And every Saturday night, hardcore stage
3: dives,
4: Stage dives and high fives. Coming soon to an MP3 player near you. All
1: right, we are back. A little uh, kind of southern jazz fusion metal type stuff going on there, so...
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was just defecating with my soul off the air. <laughs>
1: yes, I like to I like to uh, dump a lot of stuff on the air. So,
2: <laughs> oh no, hey, for sure, variety is the spice of life. Also, speaking of which, the Black Keys album—I think it was Brothers. Uh, yeah, yeah, fucking good album, man. I listened to it on the way down to Cincinnati a couple of times. Really good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. And I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna say it a lot, man. That's just how we do. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. All right, so our first film is Rolling Vengeance. Uh, it was my pick for this week. Let me uh, get the synopsis up. The basic synopsis is pretty simple, though. It's basically a revenge film uh, with truck drivers and rednecks and uh, rape and monster trucks. So sounds right up our alley, huh? So, <laughs> so, so we should uh, we should get into it. So uh, I picked it. Let's see what you got to think and say about it, there, Large
2: Okay, this is I one do. I don't know if I've ever seen. I thought maybe I had. I don't know. Very foggy. I'm going to say no, I hadn't. But I was certainly aware of it. Um, can exploitation, of course. A lot of Canadian actors from shitty shows like Danger Bay and ENG and all sorts of other rubbish. Um, I do want to say before I forget that the connection between this film and Eddie Coyle <laughs> is that the director, Stern, um, directed an episode of the TV show, Logan's Run, and of course... Was it Robert Jordan, who played um, the the cop in Any Coil? was uh, Logan's friend, or former friend in uh, Logan's run, so very interesting yeah, yeah, in that yeah. regard. It is interesting. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah, because I was just looking through Stern's uh, filmography, and a lot of TV, man. Like I said, I could go through about 10 classic, kind of shitty TV shows from Canada that he's been a part of, but... Uh, Anyway, yeah, so the only real guy, like you said, is Ned Beatty. This is interesting, too, is a trucker film. It's another three-named revenge, revenge trucker film with the principal actor with the middle name Michael.
1: Right, yes. The jam Michael
2: Vincent, Don Michael Paul.
1: Didn't think of so, that. That's
2: kind of weird. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a fun film. It is a pacey film. Uh, I'm sure we're, all kind of, we're going to kind of agree on the same things. Um of course, uh, you know, Jilly Rosso, our our hero, is, is not above such zinging barbs as Eat My Shorts. <laughs> yes, yes. So.
1: Another, uh, you know me, I'm always looking for the insults. Uh, Eat My Shorts, that's a high class one. And I know another character called somebody else Banana Breath at one point. There's Banana Breath. And of
2: course, there's a character named Hairlip in it. Yes, of course. Favorite of Sammy's. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to say, when we first see Beatty, we always talk about character, our actors that get the memo. Mm-hmm. Beatty got the memo. I mean, he comes out dressed in fucking leathers <laughs> yeah. with bolo ties. He's got guile slash Wolverine hair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's like he went to Larry Bishop's house, got his finest. Harry, the, the, the Larry Bishop department store for men.
1: Yes. That's They're what he good. actually looks like. Now that I think about it, he does look like Larry Bishop in Hellrad.
2: Yeah, it's like a Larry <laughs> Bishop kind of look, but with better hair. Um, what I think he was and, really going
1: for yeah. was like, you know how some old guys that hang out with younger people try to stay hip?
2: But they end up looking like a greaser.
1: Yeah, they end up. They inevitably end up looking like some kind of. Well, they look like trash. What they end up looking like because they, <laughs> they look. You know, it's not their fault. They just. You know, it, you look like an idiot because. You know, let's let's be honest. If you're 60 and you're wearing diesel jeans, will I mean you'll look like an idiot. I mean, you know.
3: You will. You will. <laughs> if I wore I
1: hammer will. pants Anyone. to Horrorhound, first of all, I would have been the hit there. But second of all, I would have been the most laughed at hit in the whole place. Although I did, see, we did see hammer pants on a Frankenstein. So there we, go.
2: we did, which was awesome. <laughs> um yeah no you're absolutely right but but Beatty got the memo he's really having fun you know Beatty's a guy I think that I know he's in a lot of films I want to go back and see if there's any films I haven't seen of his that he really shines in because I've always liked him and everything I've seen him and I've seen him in a lot but it's always mm-hmm. usually southern lawyer or you know usually you know a uh, bit player of sorts
1: it's interesting another tie I just thought of there's actually an actor in uh Eddie Coyle named Jack Ryan Mm-hmm. Like, Our name Mitch Ryan. My bad, Mitch Ryan, not Jack Ryan. That's a that's a guy here <laughs> here, <laughs> isn't <it? laughs> Yes, uh, Mitch Ryan and Ned Beatty. They're both born in Louisville, Kentucky. Weirdly. Oh, not. nice. Like, weirdly.
2: So there's a can- can- there's a, a Canada Louisville connection to this yes. one. Yes. Yeah. Very strange. Very nice. Very nice. Well, did you say Ned was born in Louisville? Who? Did you say Ned Beatty was born in Louisville? Yeah. 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 He's from Louisville. A lot of cool people from Louisville, he, he man. He
1: still comes around here every now and then. He's got family here and stuff. He's He pops up. I've seen him in the city uh, several times, actually. So, it's kind Let's see of a, if
2: he's got this outfit still, man. Like yeah, the next horror hound.
1: <laughs> kind out. of a popular local hero. Uh, i always so sorry know? for the guy because I always know there's somebody out there that has to pull the squeal like a pig thing. I don't remember where he goes. Of course. Yes. Of course.
2: Yeah, that's probably what he's most known for in most circles. Yes. You know, serious film fans or otherwise. Um, I have to say the hooligans in this, like, holy fuck. I mean... <laughs> They are really first class, first class. I mean, they're they're coming out of the bed of a, a, like the the pickup truck, whipping beer bottles at, at a windshield, and yeah. there's a lot of stunts in this film that don't look like they would be that dangerous. But all it would take is one bump or one swerve, or a gust of wind, or someone to lose their balance for it to go terribly, terribly wrong.
1: Yeah, you know, that's weird. I don't know who the stunt coordinator was on this. I do know, looking through the credits, that uh, Ken Kersinger was one of the stunt men on the film. Now, he went on to play Jason in Freddy vs. Jason in some of the Jason films. But this is a long time ago. This is before that. And
3: mm-hmm. I was
1: sitting there looking, you know, at the stunt guys to see if there was any really well-known stunt guys in the film. And I didn't really see any. And, and that really comes through in the film because the stunts in this film feel like they're controlled. But they feel like they're controlled and out of control at the same time. Like, so many things could have went wrong. There's like three or four times where I thought it looked like somebody was really going to get hurt.
2: Oh, for sure. Especially, like I said, there's that scene, there's a scene that I'll talk about in a minute here with some bricks. It's uh, it's really yes. insane. Yes. Um,
1: the camera definitely took the brunt of that blow.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, Dalton hadn't blown through this town yet.
1: <laughs> you know what, man? I totally got a Roadhouse vibe from this film a little yeah. bit. And you know, what, what did Roadhouse come out? 89, I guess? I think so. You think, you think maybe they saw a little bit of Rolling Vengeance? They could, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me. There's times where I've
2: seen minor films. It, you know, it's funny we talk about the correlation between those two because there's a monster as as truck. There's a monster truck in Roadhouse too, and that's just it. And there's a, mo- a pretty famous monster truck scene in this. Now that I think about it, I wonder if uh, you're right. Yeah, if Rolling Vengeance had ripped this off because you can't help but get the, the Roadhouse vibes. Like I said, I mean, uh, so I made the Dalton comment. You put the thing in about the the truck and everything else. It just. Very similar film. It's like you know. It's like they almost thought no one's gonna know. It's a fucking Canadian film.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, well, the monster truck runs over cars on a car lot. Yeah. It does the same thing in Roadhouse. <clears throat> the the bar nobody's welcomed in except the local baddies. Same thing in Roadhouse. It's it's just it's really strange. The the kind of the parallels between this and Roadhouse were really amazing when we wa- when I watched this. I was like, wow, this is so much like Roadhouse in a lot of ways. Of course, it's not as pacey or as kind of polished uh, yeah it's polished or even even really doesn't have like the classic high cheese factor that roadhouse has i think roadhouse tried not to be cheesy but obviously it came off that way but that's okay i mean it, it came it's kind of a classic oh, in its own but this is oh, yeah. cheesy in a different way like a low budget cheesy
2: this to me really is like the 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 kind of um like the, the low rent child of of white line fever and roadhouse
1: Yeah, yeah yeah good call good call
2: <clears throat> kind of you combine those two but I love that our hero is such a gentleman that when his uh his girlfriend turns him down, he wants to get a little little I was gonna say probably a word I shouldn't have. If we have female <laughs> listeners. Um yeah. but she she turns him away and he, he looks at her and gives her these eyes and he goes, Will you think about it? Yeah. 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 That's what she wants from you. Pussy boy, <laughs> yeah. begging.
1: Yeah, well, I mean he he's begging for what he wants, I guess. <laughs> uh certainly. <laughs> certainly. Um
2: and then just there's a few kind of awkward love moments because there's a moment when, when Big Joe, I think it's Big Joe, he picks up his wife.
1: Yeah, it's Big Joe. Who's, yeah, I, who's, I, I always his thought mom. his wife was like too young for him or something. It just yeah. seemed weird to me.
2: Oh, Big Joe for a reason. Yeah. hey, Big Joe. Uh, yeah. But I love when uh, he. I just. Or should I say, I like when he says he picks up his wife in an embrace and goes, "I like you." God damn it, I like you. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was a classic that's line. Good. I thought about making a drop out of that because it's pretty great. <laughs> it's just bizarre. I've never said
2: that to my wife, Like it's kind of bizarre. But you know, that's Big Joe. I guess better in, in between the sheets, and he is uh, you know romancing the stone, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the, the, these henchmen. I have to say, we watch a lot of a lot of film with goons and henchmen. But these are easily the most aggressive and stupid hyena henchmen in the history of cinema. Like, yeah, they're pretty takes no provocation. These guys are fucking winging beer bottles at people like in the first scene, like there's no escalation. It's just shit gets real immediately.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're very cardboard cut out because they're, I mean, they're immediately awful people immediately. There's no in between, you know who the bad guys are immediately because they do just the most awful stuff. And it's it's really amazing, and I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, you know, there's kids in the car, there's, you know, the wife, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, Rick, you're thinking too much about this. These guys are supposed to be, you know, like, the worst, and they want them to be the worst, and, and they really come off as the worst. They come off as, like, George Eastman's gang and, and Hands of Steel. They left this gang because that gang was too hardcore for them.
2: <laughs> or, or you know, it's also got that vibe, the Blast Fighter vibe a little bit, because it's the backwoods thing a little bit, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the plaids. Yeah, yeah that's right, the lumberjack shirts. Lumberjack shirts, so... Yeah, these guys are pretty insane um, there's some uh, you know despite this being kind of a workman hammy low budget performance some of the editing in spots I mean not that it was like the strength of the film but I was surprised with a few moments that were edited as well as they were like this moment with the transport um, I watched this at like 4 in the morning a couple of days ago so I can't remember um, I can't remember what it was now, but there was something edited with the transport that was pretty well done um I, I'd be curious to see whether, I think some of the people behind the scenes worked on here. Um, what's crazy is, and I wish I could remember now what this meant, but we, I've, my note is we've had Michael Gross local likes two weeks in a row.
1: <laughs> I didn't, I didn't notice this one. Who was this one? Maybe, I don't know,
2: man. Now that I think about it, I don't know. Was it maybe the dad? No, it couldn't have been. It wasn't you. Wasn't Big Joe? I don't. I can't remember. Lieutenant Sly? Maybe I can't remember, but. Clearly, someone. Uh, I Lieutenant,
1: it was, Lieutenant Sly had a slight Michael Gross feel.
2: Maybe I can't remember now. This film's called Duelo No Asfalto in Mexico. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, Duel on the asphalt, maybe. Oh,
1: okay. I like that. I, don't know. I like, that. Yeah, good, I like good, that. Good title. Good title.
2: Um, at this point, uh, oh yeah, we get some of the the the, claw, the idiots kind of get their literally get their dicks caught in their zipper.
1: <laughs> yes, literally.
2: And you know, it's. Uh, it's fantastic. Like I mean, you want to see kind of the height of cartoonish, kind of hyena henchman nature. So there's the whole thing where the the goons were like in the like mildly provoked not even provoked. But there's the encounter where I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Uh, but some people die as at the hands of these guys, and some of the good guys, quote unquote, come in and uh, to the bar, and these guys are like you know they're pissing in in beer steins and dumping it on heads and splashing beers on heads, and it's like. It it I it just so comical how fucking like disgustingly bad these guys were in this film. Yeah, no, <laughs> like no like no remorse. No, just they're all like like the Terminator version of like shithead henchmen. Yeah. it's a good call they're, actually. They were just programmed for one thing that's kind of douchebaggery and yeah, just it's pretty fantastic. Um, and then we get the bricks. It's, you know something with the bricks in the truck where. These aren't just little bricks, like those those, those big bricks. Yeah,
1: yeah, like cinder blocks.
2: Cinder blocks, and they're dropping them from this overpass onto the, the windshields of these trucks. And again, I think, you know, yeah, okay, in this day and age, you get all these explosions and stunts and Bruce Willis ducking in a car, giving him a haircut and all this bullshit. Yeah. And it's stuff like this that kind of gets my pulse racing because I think, man, if one, of those cinder, if one of those windshields hadn't been tested properly for resistance and that thing goes clean through, I mean, it's not going to end well.
1: Yeah. So, again, it feels like, you know, uh, a bunch of people getting together on the weekend saying, hey, let's crash some semi-trucks. And it it, it literally looks like that, too. It looks like me and you get together and we don't know what we're doing, but we know how to flip something over.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's almost, you know, sometimes it's to its credit when you get a film that's low rent and can do things like that. It almost seems even more real because it takes away the gloss of the film.
1: Well, I mean, it gives a kind of a kinetic energy, too, to the uh, yeah. stunts and stuff, which always helps. I mean, stunt work, the key to stunt work is always to make it feel dangerous. I mean, nowadays, you're right. I mean, Bruce Willis is in a lot of these films, and but a lot of these action stars now are in these films where there's so much CGI and the stunt work that uh, people complain about CGI blood. I, I complain more about CGI stunts than I do CGI blood. I can handle CGI blood compared to CGI stunts.
2: Totally agree. Uh, you know, I've said this, I think we've both said on the show before that's the CGI stunt work that you see in like a Michael Bay film or mm-hmm. a big budget action film, even the A Team, um, which I was saying to Vishnu, when you get stunts that are so insane and so over the top and so crazy, instead of like getting my pulse going, it has the exact opposite um, effect for me. It just it's it leaves me cold and cuts me right out of a
1: film. Yeah, and, and nothing. It's so
2: ridiculous.
1: Yeah, nothing feels like it has any weight or there's no blood, there's no skin in the game. It just feels like. It feels yeah. like, you know, like CGI animated film.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like that, you know, once the kind of the revenge part really kicks in, I like the truck building montage with the welding and the dumpsters. And,
1: yeah. and the Jack Parr sounding song. The what? That song that sounds like that guy Jack Parr singing it, like yeah. oh, St. Well,
2: oh, sir Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the sax solo near the end of that song. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so it's pretty good stuff. Uh, and that there's some flames, man. This, the, that monster got some serious flames come out of those stacks. And, you know, like you you touched on, we get that Roadhouse moment with, the, with uh, I guess it was at the bar, but in Roadhouse it was at the dealership where just cars are getting just fucking crushed. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say, uh, but it was more character-specific as opposed to film-specific. We just, remember how we, I said, I feel like another film I watched recently borrowed from this. Huh? It wasn't so much a film, but do you remember that Paul Walker genre film? What was it called?
1: Oh, Running Scared?
2: Running Scared. To me, when I watched this, it was as if John Goodman was channeling Ned Beatty's character in this.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, were you talking... you, know,
2: were you Especially talking, with the son-father-son father father-son dynamic. Are
1: you and, talking about Running Scared or are you talking about Death Sentence, the Kevin Bacon movie?
2: No, oh, oh, maybe I was thinking of Death Sentence. The one where, where John Goodman plays like the arms dealer and his son's one of the goons. Yeah, and he is wears... That Death Sentence?
1: Yeah, it is, and he wears the glasses and stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so Death
2: Sentence, yeah, then my apologies. Uh, all those kind of... Uh, you know extremely mediocre over stylized
1: <laughs> i'm just more. i'm just more amazed that i know all these mediocre over stylized yeah. action movies well, Hey,
2: know one It's good you did man because I, I was mistaken <laughs> but yeah but to me it really felt like in seeing this that goodman was channeling that you know the Beatty a little bit in that film um
1: yeah, yeah Beatty's a small guy but he he uh, plays very projects. big and
2: yeah he really projects well uh and i love the prayer circle for the sons sun, in this it's yeah, yeah. it's a bizarre fucking prayer circle it was um <laughs> And my last note is, of course, at the end with, uh, was it, like it's Little Joe, uh, with Little Joe and his, his feather haired girlfriend. What a fucking duet as they walk off into the sunset.
1: Oh, yeah. I almost uh, made an MP3 of that because it's pretty amazing. Pretty <laughs> incredible stuff. So, yeah, those are all my notes. I'll put the call out again. Anybody's got a Rolling Vengeance soundtrack, send it my way, please. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So, you went over a few things that I can talk about uh, Ned Beatty and his hair. Yes, we have to believe that Hugh Jackman must have seen this because it is very similar to the Wolverine hair. Uh pretty amazing actually. Uh very interesting. <laughs> um I've I've read that Tarantino's a big fan of this film. I can I can see that. It's got that kind of stuff that he likes in it, you know, and it, it's it's really ridiculous. I mean, I I found it interesting that the film seems like it was shot like in the parking lot around the corner from where Fulci shot Conquest. Because mm-hmm. like all the extra smog is coming over from the Conquest film into this film but I think they use the fog well because I think they use it to hide you know certain parts of the roads or you know traffic in the background possibly or maybe just more you know city make it look more rural or even the fact that the monster truck itself is it really does look like the actor in this film put it together like in in like two days oh yeah uh, I mean you even get the feel that like he might be standing up and driving it the, you know, you know, necessity is the mother of ingenuity. I mean you gotta come up with what you gotta come up with and this is obviously a very low budget film. I feel like I don't know how you feel about this. I mean were you a big fan of Monster Trucks as a kid?
2: Yeah, I was. I was into before it became really oversaturated gravedigger because I was a horror fan. Right, right. Um, no I like Monster Trucks. I think it was just very much children of our time. It was a big thing with, with kids our age, certainly. Yeah.
1: I think, all, I think all small kids still like them to some degree because it really kind of, you know, appeals to your basis nature, right? You know, when I was a kid, I always had Hot Wheels and toys and stuff, and I always wanted to run them into each other and, and do stuff like that. And I always had my parents and my grandparents in the background saying, you tear them up and you're not getting another one. And yeah. I was like, hey, well, screw that. I'm going to tear it up then. <laughs> I'll just get another one that's different than the one I got. Uh, but, you know, just the basis nature of, you know, destruction, which especially for young boys, it's kind of it's natural. Uh you know, uh, just kind of that natural destruction that boys have, a tendency we have as growing up, and I think it appeals to that. You know, big things, running over other big things just kind of appeals to boys. Probably more than females. I don't know a whole lot of female uh, monster truck fans, but I'm sure there might be a few out there. Um, But I always felt like this genre was kind of a lost opportunity in the 80s. Uh, there's, There's films with the monster trucks in them, but not enough with the monster trucks being the center of attention, and that's kind of a shame because if any kind of piece of equipment could be pretty great uh, you know exploiting uh, it seems like the monster truck would have been uh, you know a pretty good idea you know and uh, so you know i have to feel like you know i was talking about tarantino earlier i'd feel like you know i have to go back and look at death proof and see if there's any of rolling vengeance in death proof
2: <laughs> yeah yeah good point man
1: i'll check it out and make sure and see uh yeah the lead thugs are scumbags i totally agree with you i mean there's no ifs ands or buts about it you don't even feel sorry for these guys one minute i mean they're total scumbags there's no, I mean, talk about your black and white Jesus. I mean, they're there. So this is assholes right from right from the beginning.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Probably the one thing that hurts this, I think, from being a like a classic genre revenge film, I would say, would be that it does have a weak cast. Really, Ned Beatty's your 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 main star power, and you got a few odds and ends here, but it really just kind of struggles along because it doesn't have you know real appealing people. The the thugs, nobody really stands out. They're all equally just kind of trashy and garbage and stuff. So. Could It could have had a better, if it could have been better cast, you know, more well cast, it would have been. I think, I think people would talk about it more fondly, probably. If there had been a
2: hierarchy, yeah, yeah, of the idiots, like, um, like Shark Tooth was one of the main guys behind uh, Ben Gazzaro, you know what I mean? If you had had, you know, one great guy, one kind of his main henchman, then a couple of their memorable ones, and then a bunch of kind of, yeah, blending in guys, would be one thing, but yeah,
1: you had like Terry Funk, and you had that, like, the fat yeah. guy, and you had the guy that was stealing money behind the register, the kind of greaseball guy. So you know you, you did you had a hierarchy in Roadhouse and that's why the bad guys are more memorable. In this they're they're all one and the same. Although I do have to say that the one that one of the ones that played uh, Medbitty's son looked a little bit like Crispin Glover. Remind me a little bit of him a little bit oh, for yeah. some reason I don't know why but he just kind of had that Crispin Glover feel to him. Uh, we get to you know like you said the montage the building montage, <laughs> which is always great in these films. It's always awesome to watch people build stuff. I have a feeling that a lot of people that grew up watching these films are now working for like TLC and shit. <laughs> you know, with like Amer- American Chopper and everything. Like, yeah, man, we should make a show where people build stuff and we play metal music. <laughs> yeah. no, no kidding, man. <laughs> uh, we don't get the monster truck till about 45 minutes in. So for those of you looking for immediate monster truck mayhem, you might want to, you know, you might want to dial it back a little bit. Because it does take about 45 minutes to get to the mayhem. It's only a 90 minute film. But it is, like Will said, nice and pacey. Uh, we get a bad mannequin uh, run over. Uh, pretty bad one, actually. There are some good scenes though with the the truck tires running over people. Oh
2: yeah, actually that's those are for you edited really well edited parts with that.
1: Yeah, some good stuff like some some in camera tricks obviously, but you know they're they're cool they're well done. you don't you can see the trick obviously, but you know I mean the way they're done the way it's edited together and stuff it looks really nice uh, as well as nice as I guess it can for a monster truck to run over a human being. Uh, <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be a GGT film uh, film without a little bit of rape so. I'd forgotten all about the rape I've only seen this a couple of times But I forgot all about the rape So I wasn't surprised when I saw the rape
2: It has to be rape no matter how small
1: And uh, I have to believe that our director Had to know what he was doing With the drill going into the tunnel Toward the woman Oh yeah <laughs> Yeah If he didn't, he he would after he listened to me talk about it, because it was obviously another form of, you know, rape and and violence. Penetration. Yeah, and penetration and stuff. And, I mean, it was blatant, to the point where you even see the top of the tunnel being ripped, like uh, somebody would, you know, lose a virginity. There might be some ripping and tearing. I know that sounds terrible, but let's be honest, that's what happens sometimes. So, I mean.
2: Yeah. When the head on the auger was like, slowed down, it looked almost like a German helmet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See? So, I'm glad I'm not the only one that saw that. But I don't have a whole lot more to add. I sent this to Roop. He he quite dug it and stuff. And I, I was really surprised I liked it as much as I did because I thought it was really going to be really kind of really dumb and cheesy. But it's actually – there's some emotional impact a little bit in it and stuff. You know, you know I could relate to the you know the dad. They did well by setting up the father and son uh, dynamic. And, oh, yeah. And they did well by setting up the girlfriend and, and, and uh, little Joe or whatever his name is. So they set up the revenge pretty good. So it's actually a pretty decent little slice of cheese. Actually, I was kind of surprised I liked it as much as I did in hindsight. So – Kind of thought we'd be more poking fun at it than we would be. Kind of saying it's pretty good, but uh, yeah, I liked it a lot more than I thought it would.
2: Oh yeah, as far as down and dirty, like low rent genre films go, it's it's pretty good.
1: Yeah. So that's all my notes. I'll go ahead and let you uh, get into your MVT and make a break.s Okay, make a break
2: is the first bottling by the scumbag hyenas. Like I said, I was just like, "Oh, okay, it's on." Like they're going to be those kind of guys. Just kind of. You no know, no provocation, just raping
1: and smashing things and cackling and did people ride in the back of pickup trucks in Canada when you were young? uh yeah, okay, yeah. I't I, I think it was a North American thing, uh, yeah, obviously yeah. I did too, but nowadays you never see that, which is probably a good thing. you know now, as a father, I don't ever want my son riding in the back of my truck. no, no, <laughs> but unless
2: I was going like literally down a dirt road like twenty yeah. or
1: something yeah, like, if it's amazing how little you know people thought about that back in the day, right? oh, yeah for sure <laughs> I mean I would go over to my friend's house and my mom would be like where are you guys going like oh we're gonna go down the lake and have a good time and there'd be 12 of us riding in the back of a truck and somebody else's dad driving I I mean I just I'm amazed at the trust people had back then Not nothing to fault of my mom and dad it's just the way people were back then you know oh for sure
2: no absolutely it's amazing um MVT the hyenas man. Oh I had nice! To give it up for them. I really liked them. I thought they were just fucking rats. Yeah. And the truck was great, but there wasn't enough truck. The truck was good, kind of no frills, just this kind of it was like a down box dirty. <laughs> yeah, It
1: was like a box on wheels. <laughs>
2: it did, man. It, like it, you could. And you know what I liked about that? It was more. It, it, it felt real in that. Again, this is what it comes back to. Sometimes the low frills, the lack of budget, um, serves it well because that felt like the vehicle someone was going to make it from their wake they were going to make one by hand it wouldn't be right, right. all chrome and tricked out with these nice angles you know
1: what i mean right yeah it wouldn't It'd have it like a look like that a molded fiberglass body or anything it would be this you know it would be a box and it seems to me like the truck is more about the wheels obviously yeah. monster monster trucks are typically but you know in this yeah. case it's really about the wheels as opposed to the body
2: oh for sure and i did really like the truck but the heinous were great for me um I, although Ned was really fantastic too uh, my score is a seven uh, 7.25 out of 10 Okay, for what it is I think it's a really fun little film you know it's not great it's it's low budget it's you know kind of mediocre in spots but for what it is it's you could do a lot worse uh, with kind of a genre of a revenge film uh, low budget of the time
1: yeah that's, that is true uh, my make or break I'm going to go with the monster truck sequence attacking the uh, the bar I thought it was pretty nice and pretty well done actually uh, it looked like it, you know, was really going through a bar. I don't know if they built a real bar there or whatnot, but it looked like it was really going through one. And he had to work it too, you know. It wasn't like you know, wasn't like you know, like the suave Al Pacino dancing and cruising. You know, he had to work. <laughs> he had to work that fist pump, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, they, I really did like that, though. I like that scene. My MVT. I am going to go with the truck just because it's such a unique looking, and it's like a it's like a character in the film. Once Ned Beatty would disappear and stuff, all I wanted to see was the truck because everybody else is pretty bland except for the hyenas. And the only problem with the Hain is, obviously, is like you said, there's no hierarchy there. So they all kind of blend together, unfortunately. But just, uh, and they are bland individually. Yeah. It would be great if, you know, they could have got some really great character actors at the time. Like even Bruce Glover or maybe George Eastman in there. Although this is 87, George Eastman was probably getting a little older. But he would have fit in great there. would have brought Raul back. Was that his name, Raul? And has said, old Raul. <laughs> Linda. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I like the truck. I mean, it's it's odd, but uh, I think that's what gives it as much character. My score is just a little bit lower than yours. It's 6.75. It's about a half point lower. I mean, I did have some – there is some stuff that I thought was pretty atrocious and boring. I mean, they tried to set up some stuff. Like you said, the father-wife stuff, I guess it's set up okay. But at the same time, it's very clumsy and – there's some kind of goofy moments and stuff. So it's not perfect at all, but and and there's not enough action. That's probably its biggest fault. Is there's not enough. Now the action that they do have is solid, but the problem is that I didn't feel like there was enough. Now, I think I just wanted more destruction.
2: <laughs> well you see a you see a a monster truck, it becomes Pavlovian, you expect destruction, but I'm gonna take change my score to a seven. Okay. Uh, I, th- I, th- I you you could probably hear me pause when I said seven point two five that's a little bit high for me, so I'm going to change it to a seven. Yeah, I mean it's a very for, for all the reasons you said.
1: Yeah, it's a very average, fun slice of cheese. It's not a, a great film, but it's a very fun, average slice of cheese. I think I think uh, I don't think this is available anywhere. I think Mark needs to try to get this at Cinema Day Bazaar and get it out there, for people.
2: Oh, for sure, and uh, yeah, if you contact Mark to get it, just say we had suggested he get it, yeah. and uh, and off to the races you'll be.
1: Yes, indeed. So that is our thoughts on Rowing Vengeance. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about some friends of Eddie Coyle. So we'll be back right after this.
0: Hi, Andy's Grandma. We're here to record a new episode of Night of the Living Podcast. Is Andy home? Oh, me so sorry. He in the hole right now. You follow me.
5: Oh, Andy's room smells kind of weird. Yeah, really strange. He left his computer on over here, too. Hey, guys, why do you think Andy might have this mask of human skin. That's weird.
0: Maybe you guys know why there's this machete in the corner.
5: This computer's just knife enthusiast websites and American apparel. Oh, wait, there's another website here. Palaver.com. Palaver. Okay, Palaver. Whatever, I think. Palaver. Yeah, he's definitely got the serial killer board up right under uh, Night of the Living podcast discussions. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Maybe we should get the hell out of here. Maybe we should go.
0: Yeah, I think we should. Hey, guys, you ready to record? (laughs)
5: If you're a fan of horror films, you should check out Night of the Living Podcast at notlp.com. Part of the Palliver family.
1: Some way to mix some i on Martha in there to kind of go along with the Whorehound theme. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We got to cover it all this weekend. <laughs> hey, hey. All right. So we uh, are going to do The Friends of Eddie Coyle from 73, directed by Peter Yates. Uh, Will, do you think you have an opportunity to give a plot synopsis? <laughs> uh, so The
2: Friends of Eddie Coyle, 1973, directed by Peter Yates. And of course, it's got a great cast. Um, I'm not going to read the the amdb plot synopsis because i think it's a bit spoilery okay. really what it is is it's it's a crime film in set in boston about low to mid-level criminals and uh, basically how they're all on the hustle right and uh, you know trying to stay one step ahead and that's that's really uh what it is in summary now i picked this film um it had been in a lot of conversations with uncool cat and i about the town and how the town was heavily influenced by it which also is is going to be one of my top ten or just outside that uh, films of the year um mm-hmm. I just kept hearing about it over and over and over and how Mitchum was great in it and blah, 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 and you dug it and everything else, so that's why I picked it. I watched it for the first time about a month ago and was floored to realize it was just now on DVD. Uh, Criterion brought it out in May of 2009. So those of you uh, that want it, jump onto Barnes & Noble and get it half price. Uh, You can't beat that. There's a great commentary with uh, with Yates. So anyway, uh, I picked this film. Uh, You've seen it before, but uh, the first time I'd imagine with a critical eye, what did you
1: think? All right, so The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Yeah, I had seen this before. Uh, I remember the reason why I pursued it a long time ago is that uh, Roger Ebert said it's like he, he called it one of the best films of the 70s or something like that. And uh, so I was like, well, you know, the 70s are my favorite decade of film. You know, how come I haven't seen The Friends of Eddie Coyle? And this has been a while back. So I had to pursue, you know, a VHS copy of a copy of a copy, one of those type of things. And finally did see it. And uh, he was pretty much right. I mean, this is one of my favorite films from the 70s. I, I, don't, know if I've ever, I don't know if I'd ever do a top 10 of the 70s because it would be tough. It was hard to find, but uh, I'm glad I did pursue it. And I haven't seen it in years. I'll be honest with you. I'd actually kind of talked about covering it on the show a long time ago, but uh, you know, at this time, I didn't know anything about the town, obviously, or any of that stuff. So, pretty interesting. Um, okay, so uh, and I would uh, you've seen the town in this film? I would say that the town's probably got a little bit more action than this film. This film's not really an action film, so to speak. No, no, you're right. Uh, I... More of a character you're... study with a couple heist in it. This one, I would say. I would say the they're the same film.
2: Uh, mind you, there's there's certainly very obvious differences. Most differences to me are um, the cinematic language of each decade they came out in. Kind of colors the films a little bit in terms of pacing, right. uh, action, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, this, yeah, a little more of a character study, downbeat. The action, the action. The the town is a little more pacey, a little more kind of coiled, tight. You know, it's a little more a uh, little more action. Um, yeah. But otherwise, very similar, you know, Boston films.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, this film, it will mention the cast. And there's a, a lot of people in this movie. A lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. We got Robert Mitchum. You got Peter Boyle. Richard Jordan. Uh, Stephen Keats playing Jackie Brown. Uh, yes,
2: that, that, that is where yes. the man from Tennessee got the inspiration.
1: Yes. Uh, you got... Um, I'm not done yet. we got Mitch Ryan. That's the other Louisville actor I was telling you about. You got Alex Rocco. Those of you who don't know who Alex Rocco is, uh, let's look him up. You'll know who he is pretty quickly.
2: Mo Green, and, of course, from yeah, The Godfather.
1: Yes. And there's and there's uh, several other people throughout. It's kind of spread out. A lot of faces and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's very well known. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this while I was watching the film. Peter Boyle, it seems like his work in the 70s uh, might rival anybody's work in the 70s. <laughs>
2: I'll tell you, man, I was looking through his filmography because I picked up that one Joe he did on VHS a long time ago.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, and I wanted to go back, you know, every time we talk about a film and, and I'm impressed, I look at the the, the actor's filmographies unless I'm very, very familiar with it. Right, um, right, Yeah, and looking at Boyle's filmography, I mean, yeah, the first half of his filmography is incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. And in the 70s, he was doing great work. I mean, he did uh, The Candidate, which is a Michael Ritchie film. He did... Um, uh, taxi Driver. Yeah, Taxi Driver, Young Frankenstein. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, let me let me click on it here. Uh, the Brinks Job, which is a good film. That's a William Friedkin film. A lot of people don't know Oh, I didn't know that film. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Got a good cast. A little bit of a comedy, a little bit there, but it's still a good film. He was in Fist with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone, yeah. Yeah, so it was a good film. I, I thought it was a good film. It, it's not a great film, but obviously it's... But, I mean, his work in the 70s could rival anybody's work in the 70s. It's a pretty, pretty amazing uh, decade for him. and. Uh, oh, yeah. I sometimes forget that because, you know, nowadays he's kind of always known as the commercial man, right? Because he became typecast after television. But, uh, you know, I mean, the guy had a hell of a career before that as a character actor. And, uh, you know, I can remember him in stuff like Malcolm X. And uh, I think he was in that Schwarzenegger movie with Jim, James Belushi, wasn't it? It was Red Heat. Red Heat, yeah. Yeah, I think he was in that. He was in some other stuff. But, uh, yeah. And, of course, you know, we've talked about him before with Hardcore, which he plays a great ball in that. And he's pretty sleazy in this, too, in a different type of way.
2: I I love that the 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 mini biography, I think this sums it up, it says a bold, blunt instrument of hatred and violence at the onset of his film career.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, he's he's got a great character actor face. You know, he never really it's funny. Peter Boyle does kind of look like Peter Boyle his whole life. He just kept getting to be an older version of what he looked like when he first kind of came on the scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and
2: just just so Zom doesn't lash us. Kid Blue, of course, he was in. Yeah,
1: I think he was born bald on top with the hair around the sides.
2: Oh, yeah, he has a humongous cranium.
1: Yes, very big head. But, again, a great face. Oh, I heard William's name mentioned very loudly there. Yeah, you know what that means. <laughs> yes, I do know what that means. That he's uh, being a bold, blunt instrument of yes, violence
2: yeah. at the onset of his
1: yes. day. Yes. So, this, this, it should be mentioned that Robert Mitchum, of course, you know, great Hollywood actor from the past, you know, matinee idol, you name it, been in all kinds of films. Uh, some of my favorite films of all time. Uh, some, of my, one of my favorite noirs out of the past. One of my favorite films altogether, The Night of the Hunter. Oh, yeah. I mean, you name it. He's been in a lot of films, but the Frenzy Eddie Quail came late in his career, and uh, you know, some thought, you know, that maybe his, you know, his his bright days had lo- lost him. He kind of, you know, became this older man actor and stuff. And and I was kind of like stunned when he was saying that, you know, he's like fifty something in the movie because I was like, I'm only thirteen years away from fifty. He looks a lot older than fifty, but then you know. People lived a lot harder back then, so it's a little different. Oh yeah. And uh, but there's this great scene with him, and, and this this film feels like Tarantino more than more than one way. I mean, how about the, think about the opening scene how it sets in, and it settles down on a cafeteria and a nice and uh, a nice uh, odd long dialogue scene.
2: That film that scene, if I was ever gonna bait someone or lure them into watching this film, I would add automatically without hesitation, give them that scene and say, "You like Tarantino?" want to see what inspires tarantino this scene with this amazing crackling dialogue
1: yeah and the you know talking about the knuckles and and everything and you get you know kind of like in hindsight and why he's known as eddie fingers coil and and all these things but it's just really this kind of great scene and it immediately hooks you and it's it's just like uh, like tarantino's films i mean he likes to hook you with dialogue so you know you can obviously tell this film was huge on him influence uh, you know as an influence i mean very much so um it is an acting tour de force. The whole movie. I mean, everybody's good in it, to great in it. I mean, there's nobody really that drops the ball.
2: No one does. And you know what? The interesting thing is, you get a bunch of great character actors. I mean, I think Mitchum's kind of the king of character actors. I mean, he was a, he was a legend mm-hmm. in the original Hollywood bad boy. But you know, he's not thought of as like a Hudson or one of these guys, right? Uh, right? Right? In terms of you know, pretty boy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get all these guys, and I think everyone just plays it just right. No one is overly demonstrative or showy. No one is kind of um, flatlining. Everyone's just what they need to be in
1: this film. Right, right. And uh, this film is directed by Peter Yates. Now, Peter Yates has had one of the more interesting careers as a director uh, of anybody, I would say. I mean, he, his filmography, as far as diversity, rivals anybody Yeah. ever. Uh, you're talking about a guy who made a film I like called Murphy's War. He made Bullet, obviously. I'm a fan yeah. of that. Yep. Uh, Friends of Eddie Coil I like. Mother Jugs and Speed, I like. Breaking Away, Breaking Away, which you just watched recently, that's a good film. The Deep, Crawl, which, yeah, Crawl, which is <laughs> really stands out in this filmography. I mean, it really stands out. Uh, yeah. But all kinds of stuff, man. I robbery, love. which is
2: sorry to cut you, supposed to be an amazing British heist film that I thought I had picked up for a quarter, but it turns out it was an American TV movie called Robbery.
1: So. Oh, I've checked that. I don't even know if I've seen that. I'll have to check it out. I have seen The Hot Rock. I think that's the one. Yeah, that is one. Right. Yeah, it's the one with uh, Seagal and Redford. George, uh, George Seagal in Rifford but, of course yeah, yeah not uh, Steven Seagal not just Steven <laughs> well, that would be awesome but yeah I mean his filmography is just crazy even the deep man even work with the nulty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just had one of those crazy careers, and it's it's pretty interesting now that he's working in, well, I don't even know if he's do, I don't even know if he's, is he still alive? Yeah, he's still alive.
2: He was, as of last year, he did the, the, a great commentary track on the uh, Criterion.
1: It's like he hasn't worked since 2004, though, so maybe he's just stopped working. Another film of his that's terribly underrated that more people need to see is a film called uh, The Dresser. Uh, really good acting movie with a great, great performance by Albert Finney, one of my favorite actors, so definitely yeah. check that out at some point. Uh, anyway, to get back on topic, but he has a very diversified film career, and it's really strange because he seems to adapt to whatever style his film wants to be because this doesn't feel like a lot of his other films. I don't know what he was going for with this film, but whatever he went for, it worked perfectly, um, and it might be, look at his filmography, it might be his masterpiece in some ways.
2: And it should be said, it was adapted from a George Higgins novel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. George Higgins, I believe, was either a, a lawyer or a policeman in Boston, Went on to a reasonable amount of success. I'm not overly familiar with him, so forgive me yeah. if I'm misquoting. But you know, reasonably successful kind of a crime author, or uh, you know, he kind of parlayed his his past experience into uh, into that. Right,
1: and uh, you know, the film is shot in Boston. and It's got a great feel to it, a uh, great you know Boston feel there. <laughs> and even yeah. and even though Mitchum's voice every now and then will kind of slide out of his Boston accent, he does do a pretty good job of maintaining his accent throughout. So,
2: oh, it's for cool. sure. Again, without being. Obvious,
1: Boston. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, There's just a lot of great scenes, lines of dialogue. There's one like little inconsequential line of dialogue that I absolutely love. That uh, Robert Jordan, I think it's Robert Jordan, Richard Jordan, my bad, says to him where he says, uh, "You know, Eddie Quill's saying all this stuff," and he's like, "Well, that's a good reason for you, but what? But how's that good for me or something like that?" And I love that because most people would say, "You know, something totally different," but he just kind of makes it this conversation thing. And there's these great, you know, there's great. There's a great scene with them too. There's a great scene with. With Mitchum at the beginning. there's a lot of there's a lot of just like really great scenes in the film. Uh little little moments. Um we get the the damn creepy mask that I don't like. The uh, flesh tone oh, yeah. mask, which is translucent, always, yeah. They always drive me nuts, man. They always get me. I don't know why. It just freaks me out. <laughs> uh and the pacing is really good. I mean, it, it, it sets itself up in the beginning and then it'll kinda get into something, and then it sets itself up with a nice little dialogue scene. I mean, it really, really, really feels uh for those who haven't seen it and want to look back on it hang on i'm main, i'm setting up a swing here my a baby <laughs> it really really feels like a uh, a quentin tarantino movie uh completely and totally <laughs> he's he's laughing uh but uh, yeah i mean cuz you know there'll be you know dialogue long dialogue scene and then a little bit of movement a little bit of action a little bit of a little bit of funk music And then, uh, you know, back into another dialogue scene, and then maybe a heist, and then a dialogue scene. I mean, it really does feel like a Tarantino movie. Um, I love that everything in the film is like a bastard. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Something hurts like a bastard. They did this like a bastard. Everything's like a bastard. So, I like that. I like that. It kind of adds a quality to it that everybody kind (laughs) of uses that saying. (laughs) That sounded good. (laughs) Relaxful. Yeah. Yeah, Nice. Uh, The thing is, you know, with the way it sets itself up with the tone... And everything is that everybody feels real. It doesn't feel like actors, you know, and even somebody with the weight that Robert Mitchum had, who's, you know, a Hollywood star from the, you know, quote unquote, golden era of Hollywood. Uh, I mean, he's carrying a lot of baggage as far as star power with him and uh, that he manages to kind of slide in and kind of become this guy. And what I really liked about his character was that they they show him, they show him in love with his wife and his wife isn't the, you know, the young waif. She's a, you know, a hearty, older woman.
2: Old Irish woman, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you, and you get to see, you know, him. He's really in love with her, and he doesn't want to lose her, and, you know, he's got this threat of doing time and stuff, and, and I really like that, you know, because a lot of these gangster movies, you know, these guys always have a lady on the side, or they always have something like that, but, you know, this guy's a family guy. You know, he's just kind of getting caught up in some bad business, and he's been a lifelong criminal, and, you know, it just it, you know, life just hasn't quite worked out like he wanted it to, and now he just and, wants to get away.
2: And that's why I love this film, because it's not the glamorized... High end criminals with the nice cars and the four mistresses, it's the the lower end or the the at best middle class criminals, right? Um, trying to kind of get their way out. And yeah, Eddie's kind of had a few bad breaks, so he's, he's in the game. I mean, this is a young man's game, you can see everyone around him is younger than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the young man's game, but he, uh, you know, he's still there because of a few bad breaks, trying to sock it out, you know, uh, and make a name for himself. And I think also the great thing that Yates does, and that Mitchum obviously was. Very selfless in doing it. The film doesn't. The film is called The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and I think that's great that it's not called Eddie Coyle, and that's reflective in the film. Everyone is given pretty fair screen time from Jordan uh, to Keats to Boyle. Everyone's given you know a, a fair time on screen for you to understand that there's no cut and dry black and white white hat here. It's black and white. You know everything's very kind of gray and muddy and and balanced out
1: right yeah you get a you make a good point. I mean these are workmen thieves they are workmen uh, criminals they're not you know they' it's it's not the scarface area yet. It's not where everybody wanted bigger and better and, and loud, you know uh no. it's it's a sign of the decade that these are workmen like criminals that you know they had to work just as hard to be a criminal as they would if they went and clocked in and work forty hours a week and i I like that touch too because that's something you don't see usually with criminals, you see a lot of risk, but you see very high rewards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it glamorizes criminals Now that's fine, I like my movies with my glamorized criminals as much as anybody But, uh, you know, really if you think about it And that's the thing about something like Scarface You know, its more. Its influence is more on what it kind of turned criminal films into Or crime films into Than more on the fact that it's, you know, a great film Because, it, I mean, in all honesty I don't know if we'll ever review it for the show or not But I mean, in all honesty, it's it's a good film, not a great film in my opinion And, uh, you know, but it, which but it one? Wait, sorry, which one was that? I was talking about Scarface the, oh right, right—the De Palma one. But I, but but it but it but it was a game-changing film because it kind of changed the climate of uh, crime films. People kind of became more about the the big loud film. The film this reminds me the most of, and I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, is Michael Mann's Thief. It's almost exactly like Michael Mann's Thief.
2: Never seen it because you know I'm not a man guy, but I've always meant to because I'm a big James Bond fan.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and this is you know before Michael Mann had a lot of money, so it's a lot more the Michael Mann that you know he was before he became Michael Mann, who you know gets to do whatever he wants to do now. But it's very similar to that because you know everybody's a working man criminal, and uh, you know this is the side of criminals you don't really see that often, and and that that's that's kind of the great thing about the film. Um the film's also very anticlimactic in some ways. I don't want to get into too much, obviously. I give away story and stuff, but I like the way it handles its story and uh, the very realistic approach and stuff. And I think some people are going to be kind of turned off by the slow pace and stuff. But I think if you like Tarantino films and you know good acting, good dialogue, uh, stuff like that, if you like those kinds of things, I think you're going to absolutely love The Friends of Eddie Coyle. I don't think you're going to like it. I think you're going to love it because I think it's one of the best examples of 70s kind of quiet character study cinema so if you don't like quiet character study cinema from the 70s you probably won't dig the friends of Eddie Coyle
2: (laughs) no no that's very true
1: hang on a second all right uh I just I was just told by my wife that uh her his grandmother wants to keep him tonight which is a sigh of relief because he kicked my ass last night I can say that on the air oh
2: yeah i i got tag teamed the night before
1: so yeah and, so every uh, now every now and then it's like you know i love my son but it's like ooh man i could use a break i'm going to bed early <clears way> tonight yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah that's what uh grandmas and grandpas and no and are for
1: yes yes good stuff anyway uh yeah but that's my thoughts on it man i mean i don't want to get into too much detail because i don't want to give my story and i think this film is its own reward i want people to go out and pursue it and i want people to watch it and i think you'll understand how much i really love it once i give you my scores and my maker breaks and stuff but uh Let's hear what you thought about it, Will, because we've talked about it and I know what you kind of feel about it overall, but I want to know about your details. Okay.
2: Um, yeah, I saw this, like I said, about a month ago and I just, I could not get it out of my head. I thought about it over and over and over to the point where I think was, I watched it on a Saturday, the Monday, I turned around and bought the, the uh, Criterion. Uh, I just, I couldn't wait a minute. I had to have it. I had to see it again. I had to give my money to Criterion for putting it out. Um you know, so I'll be forthright obviously in and, and saying how much I love it. But um yeah, you, you to kinda of talk about something you didn't really talk about too much is there's there's well you, you touched on it, I guess, without be giving specifics, and that's how the film's balance between these these conversational uh scenes and then, you know, you get a couple heist scenes and well, you kinda of talked about it. Uh like early on we see Alex Rocco's character, he's kinda of shadowing this bank man bank manager and casing the joint and it's it's great, you know, as we always say, to see the the work that goes into something like this and also uh, to see how lax banking... Like, this is just like this brick and mortar, like, it was nothing. Like, you know, you see banks nowadays and it, it, it kind of boggles the mind that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it was that kind of quaint and, and wide open, just ready to get fucked.
1: Right, right, right.
2: right? So... interesting little piece of trivia. I can't remember where I read this now, but I thought it was too good to pass up. When I first saw this one, I thought, man, this this score is pretty funky in spots. You know, not to the point where it takes away, but it definitely was funkier than I would have anticipated. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a great score, but initially um, Yates went to Uh, Quincy Jones, you know, because he'd had some some, obviously some success, that's an understatement but he'd done a few film scores I think a couple years earlier he did I think it was called The the Score I just talked about this film with Jim Brown and Warren Oates and a few others God, I think I was talking with Ken uh, at Horror Hunt about this. And as an aside, it was great to talk to Ken. Um, but anyway, Quincy watched the film. Uh, Sammy, I don't know if you knew this. He watched the film and he's like, I can't I can't score this film because the film is too perfect. Yeah. And I feel like anything I do, I'm going to second guess it. And it's it's just not going to work. He goes, respectfully, I love your film, but I can't score it because I'm afraid that it's going to mess with perfection.
1: Huh. Interesting. I didn't know that.
2: So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um but yeah, you kind of talked about that first scene where we see the hang dog, kind of hound dog looking Mitchum. And I love that, you know, his face is used to create a face. But I love that when we first see him, you kind of see him looking at his reflection through the glass um, before he walks into the diner. Right. You know, great little great little kind of small moment uh, in the film. And then that leads into just a, a you know, that fantastic scene with uh, Jackie Brown, the, uh, the gun runner.
1: Yeah, um, and... And uh, I'm trying to think what else I've seen that actor in. I've seen him in a lot of stuff, Stephen Keyes. Yeah, he, he's, but yeah he's he's been in. A, actually, I'm. He was like in Death. Right. He was in Death Wish. That's what I know yep. him from immediately. But I'm just kind of kind of looking through his filmography while you're talking here. Well, he's uh, he's in. You know, the, well, you know what? The sad
2: thing about this film is all five of the principals are dead.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know it's pretty crazy.
2: You know, the only one left is, uh, of course, uh, Yates himself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Keats, I hadn't really. I didn't know him to see him. I mean, yeah, I'd seen him in Death Wish and, and a couple of things. But I've since gone about getting a few of his films because I really dug him in this film a lot.
1: Yeah, well, he's one of those character actors who, you know, I grew up watching on everything because he was on, like, every TV show ever uh, when I was growing up. So, you know, he was in all this stuff. And But he had the one thing I liked about him is he never had any work done on his teeth no. or anything like that. So he had that great gap between his front teeth, which really kind of oh, gives yeah. his character a nice edge, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know that's what I hate about Hollywood now is everybody has to have perfect teeth. It just drives me fucking nuts. Cookie cutter man, cookie cutter.
2: Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no. He he's got an interesting film. I'm grabbing called um, Black Sunday.
1: Oh, is it the uh, the one about the Super Bowl? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Then, that's a good film.
2: Yeah, and then The Last Dinosaur, Hester Street. Uh, the Gambler. A few more I'm, I'm going to get my hands on, but yeah, 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 Very, very interesting. Uh, actually, he played ironically on the Kojak TV series. He played a character named Danny Zuko. Interesting.
1: <laughs> I liked. Uh, I like his film he did called uh, The Gumball Rally. I'm a big fan of that. Oh one. yeah, of- yeah, absolutely, man. Gary Busey absolutely. and Michael Sarrazin. It's a good film. Sorry. Gary Busey and Michael Sarrazin. Sar- 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 oh, okay. You threw me for a because I thought you said Michael. Isn't Dean Martin in Gumball Rally? Uh, I don't think. I don't. Th- Maybe no. I don't think so. I think he was in. He was in uh, Gumball Rally Two, Cannonball Run, which feels like Gumball Rally. Oh,
2: sorry, I'm <laughs> mixing them up because of those cross country car race.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Cannonball uh, Run's kind of a rip off of the Gumball Rally, actually. <laughs> yeah.
2: Sorry, my apologies. Because you said Michael Sarah, I thought you said Michael Sarah. I'm like, uh,
1: so Sarah's in. Uh, is, is he making some kind
2: of film joke here that I just it flew right over my head?
1: No, I don't think so.
2: <laughs> Sarah's in. Okay, my apologies. Yeah, that's right. No, he was in Gumball Rally. Um,
1: and of yeah, course, he was in uh, Silent Rage, which won Chuck Norris.
2: Yeah, d- d- he played a doctor in that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I watched On Rage, you know, about a year ago for the first time in a long time. Uh, I love the line that, uh, and I, we could quote. I think we could you touch this. We could quote lines from this film all day, all day, um, all day, all day, man. Uh, But I love the line when you know, and I love how calm but intensely focused Mitchum is when he talks to Jackie because talks about, uh, you know, you got my name. He jacks says to him almost as if to say, like, you know, you got my name. You, you should know what I'm all about. Someone obviously, you know, vouched for me. And then Mitchum says back to him, I wish I had a nickel for every name. That was all right. You know, was, you know every line in this film, man, it's just effortlessly cool and effortlessly quotable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's like, you know, when you, when you don't watch a Tarantino thing, you don't always remember the scenes from his films as much as you remember some of the lines of dialogue. I mean, if you think about Tarantino films... Most people, when they talk about them, they don't really always talk about the scenes. They talk about lines of dialogue. It's really weird because I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about a scene. But then they say, oh, yeah. And then he says, you know, this and they'll quote the dialogue. And it's pretty amazing because even non-movie fans will quote dialogue from a Tarantino movie.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I remember when I said I was watching the film, Brian Higgins, I think he just wrote on my wall, uh, put your hands in the drawer or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
2: something referencing that scene. So just, you know, something like that. But I like that early on. We kind of see the world Mitchum's in and we see these low level criminals. And I think, you know, I love that we, you know, he's talking shop. I think. <laughs> You know, he's almost like a Donnie Brasco s character in a sense. Like he's a jack of all trades, yeah. because I think these low end guys have to. They have to be that way because they got to be useful. Right. So they got to know about guns. They got to know about gambling. They got to go know about prostitution. How to hijack cars. You know, they got to have a few different angles, man, because they they got to be on the hustle. Because in every scene, we see everyone's on the hustle. Yeah, trying what, to get theirs.
1: What they always remind me of is they always remind me like we talked about the workmen, but the middleman. They are they're the guy that the guy in charge always relies on, right? Oh, yeah. And they always need that guy. And you talk about that with, uh, with uh, what's what's Al Pacino's character's name? Donnie Brasco, was his name, was it Lucky? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember what his name was in that film. But, you know, all these mob guys relied on him and stuff. And he was this weary guy who was never going to get an opportunity of greatness. Mm. And I think that's exactly what Eddie Coyle is. Eddie Coyle's is this kind of, you know, weary guy who's just getting beat up by this profession. But he's never going to get his chance at being the guy. You know, I, just, I, he's, I guess he, I keep forcing his hand. Yeah, I guess if he was in the Italian mob, you know, he'd never get an opportunity to be made. You know, kind of related to something like that. I mean, he's he's always the guy everybody relies on that gets made, but you know, he's never going to get there.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, he's never going to reach the top. Um, but yeah, this film is effortlessly cool and stylish without being showy or overt about it, which is also great. Um, you know, because when something's cool, it's just cool. It doesn't need to try to be cool.
1: Yeah, there's no fancy you know? shots. I mean, there's some great no, shots, but there's no fancy shots. No fancy
2: shots. Exactly. I love when we see. You know what's interesting? I didn't notice the first time I watched this, but scene to scene, how the perspective changes. Like for example, um, the first scene is from the bank manager's perspective, then the second one is from Alex Rocco's perspective with the bank manager, and then the next scene is Mitchum with Jackie Brown, and the next scene is Jackie Brown's perspective with his his guy. So it's like they introduce them as the secondary character in a scene, only to have the next scene with them as the primary character, kind of following out or executing. What they had interacted with the first character for,
1: yeah, so yeah,
2: kind of an interesting thing. Um, the town square looks great. It's where Boyle and, and uh, Jordan go a lot uh, to, because you know Boyle's a, on the take of it as an informer, so
1: right, um, right.
2: You know, which which is obvious. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. No, um, and the the masks. You know, you and I, and my wife even said, "Oh, there's your mask." I said, "Yeah, no, you know?" Rick, Rick hates them too. And,
1: God, I hate those masks, man. I'm glad they yeah. don't. I don't glad they don't really make them a whole lot anymore. They drive me nuts.
2: No, I know, but I have to say they look really cool in this, though. Oh yeah, they look great. Very cool. Like I, there was a few times where I, like I wanted to play this in VLC player, take a few screenshots, and just like you know, just post them like as like a GIF or like a mm-hmm. like you know just a still. They look really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that the film is just gray skies and a kind of late fall setting. It's kind of cold. There's no leaves on the trees, and I think it just really evokes kind of the moral ambiguity and just the general gloom and doom of of this life and the kind of the you know it really because they're all kind of flying by the seat of their pants trying to trying to keep that you know that little piece for themselves
1: right right
2: um and then the reveal with the breakfast the, the uh, breakfast manager huh? I was the breakfast manager this weekend at <laughs> Cracker Barrel man <laughs> uh, throwing down some gravy I saw some uh, photos
1: of that actually yeah and in <laughs>
2: hindsight having crumbs on my face probably wasn't the best thing <laughs> glamour was but it's the way it goes um but I love the reveal when he—you can see like he's coming into the, the the breakfast room or the dining room, and his his wife and son are just looking at him stone-faced. And he, you know, doesn't really think he looks comes in the room, and then it kind of the camera turns around and kind of pans out, and you can see like four masked men in his in his dining room. Yeah, it's yeah. A hell of a way to start your morning.
1: Yeah, that is. But,
2: but uh, and you know the great thing about this film is, I think that and not 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 to its detriment, but. The town is is generally more about action, whereas this film is generally more about tension.
1: Yeah, and, I, and again, it's what you said, you know, it, it's probably just the difference in making films in 2009, 2010, as opposed to making films in 72 and 73.
2: Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, but yeah, and then to kind of further stamp the whole unglamorous thing, I mean, we see Coyle... Taking out the garbage, he's kind of look. You can see that scene where he's kind of looking to his kids to see if they'll come give him a kiss, and yeah. they just ignore him and get on the bus. And mm-hmm. you know, he, he goes and gives his, hug, his wife a hug, and he gets into this cramped kitchen with the bread box and everything else. But it just kind of again shows, you know, not, not the superhero kind of glamorous uh, thing. But right. um, yeah, the bowling alley scene, another great scene between Jackie and uh, and Eddie. Yes, uh, first rate, man, just first rate. And, and just, it, you know, the thing I love that, I you know, it's one of those things that, you know, when you're a real film guy or girl, you, you kind of eat up. And it's just the little things that Mitchum does in this film. It's the economy with which he gets so much done. Like, like he'll, uh, you know, he's talking in the bowling alley and just subtle little ticks. Or like I remember in the first scene with the pie, it's like key to slice the pie and then he kind of, he pushes his tongue inside the bottom of his mouth. Like, right? along the bottom where just below his lip, as if to, to clean the pie out from his mouth. Little things like that that he does that just it seems effortless and makes the character seem that much more real.
1: Yes, I agree. Um,
2: sorry, now, sorry I,
1: that I was kissing my son goodbye, so no, no, this kind of, totally of sounded cool. like I was falling off. I, I want to mention that, uh, The Friends of Eddie Quayle actually, you know, it's, it's, that's the other great thing is it's actually Stephen Keats' first film, so yeah, it's pretty great that he can hang with Robert Mitchum of all fucking people, you know, it's like it's like when we talked about, uh, a Few Dollars More, and, you know, Lee Van Cleef, his very first uh, lead role was in A Few Dollars More, and here's this guy, as he comes in, he immediately can hang with Clint Eastwood or anybody. You know, I, oh, I, I've yeah. always found those kind of actors interesting, and Keith just kind of burst onto the scene, boom, you know? and he's Oh, like, for sure. Well, there
2: he was. <laughs> well He definitely did, and I love one line I will say, because, like I said, we could quote them all day if we wanted to, is when he's talking to his connection, mm-hmm. and they said something to him, and he says, this life's hard, man, but it's harder if you're stupid. Yeah. And I think that's so true. I mean, you know, these guys got to be sharp because we see, uh, in in kind of an ironic, you know, poignant moment near the end when someone literally and figuratively falls asleep. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 their demise.
1: Yeah. Um. You know, another scene I like a lot with Keats. I was just thinking about, and I didn't write down my notes, but I meant to write it down last night. I just couldn't because I had my hands full at the time. Uh, that scene where he has the other young criminal with him, and they're talking about cars. Oh yeah. And you kind of get that, you know, that kind of looking up, that other young criminal kind of looking at Jackie Brown, you know, because Jackie Brown's talking about the kind of car he got, you know, and he's got the, you know, the 383 in there and the Hemi or whatever. I can't remember what kind of car it was, but I remember thinking, you know, that's the way criminals are. That's the way they would become. They become this where they got to have a status thing, you know, be it a gold watch, a gold ring, a car, a house, whatever. Uh, So Jackie Brown was kind of like the beginnings of that kind of criminal in a lot of ways because he's kind of showing his money a little bit.
2: Well, that's his thing. That's his office. He used to have that st- that business status symbol, right? Yeah. You know? So, no, absolutely. Great. Um, Great scene. I love that. Uh, another scene with uh, with Jackie and Mitchum when they're outside a grocery store, and I think as a married man, I could laugh when uh, <laughs> Mitchum says to Jackie, "He says uh, something, something married life," and he says, "Look, he goes." Up, I don't know if they explain. I don't know if they explain married life. To you, and if I did, you wouldn't believe me. Yes, <laughs> it yeah. just there's these kind of funny, realistic moments that you know I just kind of laughed at. But again, they're not really done sh- in a showy way, but
1: it's 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 one of those lines that if you've been married for an, a, a certain amount of time, you would totally understand what he means.
2: Yeah, because you know Jackie's kind of this young upstart, and Mitchum's the old kind of world weary guy. So they're really great. Um, and I like how they really build up the whole thing with machine guns. How you know, it's like no one wants to even look at them because it's like life in prison if you're caught with a machine gun in the state of Massachusetts. So right, right. I really like that. I think that's interesting. I didn't know that. Is that is that across the states or do you know if that's state to state or?
1: I actually have no idea, to be honest with you. I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that at all. Uh, I'd be interested to in find out if anybody could find that out. I guess I'll look it up at some point later.
2: Yeah, no, very interesting. But And then, you know, there's a scene later on with Jordan that I think kind of sums up Eddie and you kind of really feel for Eddie where and you do and you don't because I think the great thing is Eddie doesn't have any nobility this is an observation um, a decidedly um, objective look at Eddie and his friends and Eddie when he says to uh, the cop he says he's going to turn you know turn in uh, some of his friends uh, and, and that's kind of dealt with throughout the film everyone's shifting their uh, their allegiances and what they're going to do and, and you know trying to stay ahead keep themselves afloat and uh, Jordan says to him, "You're too late, Eddie. It all happened without you." And you kind of get the sense that that line really sums up Eddie's whole life.
1: Yeah, you. As a matter of fact, that line is so poignant. You get the feeling that looking back on all the scenes prior, that Eddie has thought that all along. You yeah. know, he felt like the whole world's passing him by, not just the criminal world. I'm, I'm seeing. You know, he's right on that in between stage before you know when you lose being a man, a younger man. And when you become an old man, because we're all going to, at some point, me and you are going to be having a conversation and we're going to have, this, I'm going to say to you, you know, well, I, I feel like I'm an old man now because one of these days it's going to happen. It happens to all of us inevitably. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the generation gap is going to become so huge that I'm going to become not, not so much a curmudgeon, but you know, just an old man, an older man. And it's, it's a, it's something that a lot of men and women have to come to grips with in their life.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. It is. Uh, a couple more notes. I mean, I could go on all day, but I, I really love that they're at a, a Bruins game and they're watching Bobby Orr, who's one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yeah. And, and and again, it's kind of this meta-ironic thing when Mitchum kind of stands up, he's admiring Orr, and he says, number four, Bobby Orr, what a future he's got. Yeah. And you can tell that he kind of appreciates that, man, like, you know, they may be in different professions. Right, right. But this kid has the world in the palm of his hand, right? Whereas Eddie, it's kind of falling through his hand, right? Right. So come here, William.
1: Eddie.
2: What? You want Daddy. to say anything about Eddie Coyle? Can
3: color?
2: You want to color?
3: Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I gotta give him my pen. So uh, other than that, um, you, I just love the overall kind of sense of melancholy and yeah. and inevitable doom that just everyone kind of feels. This um, this the kind of like. A, pressure like it's just it's it's asphyxiating them
1: right right and another thing i love about that bruins game is, is i love that uh, it showed the old school way of going to see a sporting event you notice oh, yeah. how little advertisement and loudness and everything there was yeah it was great yeah it's been when it's when sports were still about sports and not about everything else because if you go to a sporting event now it's about everything but the game it seems like sometimes oh yeah it's really ridiculous <laughs> i mean it really is i mean i'll give you a good example i go to a lot of college football games and every time there's a timeout They have to have some kind of celebration of the school in the end zone. And I understand it's a recognition thing, but at some point it becomes ridiculous. You know, it's like these these students are the head lead aquatic breeders of the of the year. And I'm like, what? Who gives a (laughs) fuck? You know, it just gets ridiculous after a while, so.
2: Well, not just that, but it's even worse when you see it every time out, uh, uh, an ad for the local pizza joint and the (laughs) local this, (laughs) and, you know, this is the A&W two-minute, you know, warning. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, everything has to have a name on it, right? Yeah, of course. These students are sponsored by Subway. That's right, that's right, exactly. It's just ridiculous how far that that, that's went to, you know, crap, actually. All right, is uh, that all your notes?
2: Yes, as my son. He's watching the pages out of my book.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear that. There's <laughs> some rumbling going on over there. Yeah. All right, so I'll get into my stuff, my make or break. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the opening scene dialogue and the knuckle talk. I mean, it's just it's one of those moments that hypnotizes you immediately. I'm just sitting there with a smile on my face because I remembered it as soon as it started playing. I was like, oh, I love this scene so much. And uh, it's just, it just puts a smile on my face every time I listen to Mitchum. Just there goes one. Yeah, there goes one. Effortlessly deliver, uh, you know, this dialogue about, you know, knuckles and fingers and drawers and stuff. Just great stuff. Uh, my MVT for the film, we're going to have to give it to Mitchum. Although I could have given it to anybody. could have given it to Keats. Uh, I could have given it to uh, Peter Boyle, who's great in the film. could have given it to Jordan, who's great in the film. I mean, there's so many good actors in the film. And uh, the directing direction is great. Uh, but this is one of Mitchum's great roles. I mean, he had like two or three, and this is definitely one of his best. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry,
2: man. That my I,
1: <laughs> my leg came out in the storm outside. And... <laughs> it's all right. Uh, and my score for the film. I'm going to give this one a solid nine out of ten. I mean, this is uh, this is a great film from the '70s. I don't think. If, I think if anybody doesn't check this out, I think they're a little crazy. Even if you don't like the slower paced uh, character uh, studies, I mean, this is a tour de force of acting. Uh, direction, and uh, 70s filmmaking. So if you're a fan of 70s filmmaking, you're definitely going to like The the Friends of Eddie Coyle. That's all I got.
2: Very nice. Okay, uh, we're kind of on the same page. What did you say your MVT was? You were breaking up there.
1: Uh, It was Mitchum. I I was kind of debating between Keats, Mitchum, and Yates. It was kind of a tough choice, but I love Mitchum so much, Uh, basically for one film, The Night of the the Hunter, but uh, I really do love this film. I love him in this film, too.
2: Oh, for sure. Um, same make or break that scene, is just, it's just—it's become one of my favorite scenes in a film. It just, it's just—it's so good. Yeah. So it just it is someone who loves dialogue, and he's got a pen in his hands, babe. So what, William, come here, please. He's—he's he's like, <laughs> he's walking on the baby.
1: So yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, come here, William. I gotta drink this quick. Yeah. Uh, that scene is just great. It kind of grabs you by the collar and you know really oh, yeah. excites. Right. Uh, MVT. I'm gonna go with Eddie and his friends again. I just I love how balanced out it is and that. Okay. No one rides in a white horse. Everyone is kind of yeah. out for their own their own gain, and, that, and that's really what it is. It's not you know nobility or anything else. Because like I said, Eddie is no saint. You know he 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 really he does some things that. Um,
6: no, no,
2: that hey, hey hey hey! Come on now! You almost stabbed me with the pen in the hand. We had a stabbing on air. <laughs> Jesus! Um, come here, William. Uh, but yeah, just I love. That He's trying to more give more. you the
1: teardrop tattoo.
2: <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? Come here. Hey, cool out. Come here. Come on. You want paper? Come here. Daddy's got to wrap this up. Come on. Come okay, Daddy's going to get you paper. It's right here. You ready? Ready. Okay, first you have to say Eddie. Eddie. Coyle. Coyle. And Jackie Brown. you, All right. All right. My score for the film is a... I'm going to go with... Uh, a nine out of ten, okay. and you know what? So I think some people are gonna watch this film because it, it does that '70s thing where it's very understated, mm-hmm. oh and you may think, dad. you may think, "Hang give give daddy the pen." You may think I really oh like this film, oh and you're gonna find the more you think about it and the subtlety, um, here comes a meltdown. Oh <laughs> uh, and the more you think about it, the more you're gonna dig it. So right, I'm also right. gonna give it a nine. I think it, it's this definitely is in my 50 favorite films of all time. Yeah, I yeah. love this film.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was great going back and revisiting it because I knew I loved it and I hadn't had a chance to watch it in forever. And going back and watching it again, it was like visiting an old friend, and it was really, really great. And to uh, see a clean print for you too, yeah, yeah, yeah it was really great because I'd seen always seen these muddy, murky things, and especially they were pan and scanned, and just nasty. So it was really nice to actually see some faces. <laughs> oh yeah, for yeah, sure. But it, but it's it, it's a you know it's just one of those films, man, and it's been overlooked by a lot of people. So I hope people check it out.
2: Yeah, definitely. And when you do, let us know. Because this is, I think, one that we can kind of feel like we're thrown out there and you kind of hope people dig. I know uh, Heaven's Trash really liked it. He's watched the commentary now. So yep. glad to see that. So, yeah. Uh, but that's it.
1: All right. So that is our review of the Friends of Eddie Coyle. We're going to take a break before any more children melt down on either end of the border. <laughs> and uh, it's been it's been the podcast on eggshells this week.
2: Oh, man. Oh, this has been probably the
1: most difficult episode for us to put out. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. This is the toughest episode we've ever done. Yeah, they,
2: like, we, they, they, like we had to earn this one.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I still got to put it all together. So it's still it's still not done being earned yet. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully and, that and there's going to be some editing work done, too, because there's a lot of moments where it's like, oh, hang on, hang on, I gotta go do this. Hang on, oh, hang on, I gotta go do that. Oh, yeah. No, so sure. there might be a little bit of that in the podcast. But hey, you know, it is what it is. It gives us some flavor. That's right, man. All right, All right so uh, we're going to take a break, come back. We've got a lot of feedback, got two weeks of feedback, so we'll be back.
5: As a listener of podcasts, sometimes you hear us ask for things like votes in the iTunes store or donations or something like that. Well, This time around, we're going to ask you for something a little different. We'd like your help on helping one of our own. That's right. I'm Brother D, and this is Miss Bren here. Hello. And we want to talk a little bit about our friends, Matt and Liz. Now, Matt's active on Twitter. He's the man behind the blog, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, which you can find at chucknorrisatemybaby.com. And his Twitter name is Matt Zuka. And they're trying to put together an amazing wedding because they've been engaged
0: for four years. And the reason they've been engaged for four years is because Matt got sick with renal failure during their engagement. Mm -hmm. And he... He's all better now because Liz gave him a kidney.
5: I don't know any couples that have that kind of a bond. It's pretty special. That's a lot.
0: That's one heck of an engagement (laughs) ring. Yeah, (laughs)
5: definitely. (laughs) Would you give me your kidney?
0: I would now. (laughs) (laughs) So now Matt is healthy and doing well, and they are able to move on with their wedding plans. However, that whole kidney thing, not cheap. In the meantime... Matt really wants to give Liz what she deserves. The girl gave up a kidney. Right.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And they're ready to move forward with the next stage of their life. They want to get married. And that's where we come in. That's where you come in. There is a contest right now at the Waterfront Beach Resort where they can get the wedding of their dreams. And it's all based on vote. That's what you need to do. You need to get over to their website and you need to vote. Now, you do have to register to do so. But I did it in like three minutes. They're real quick. You have to put in your email address. They'll send you a confirmation email. It's painless. It's quick. And it helps all our friends Matt and Liz. Once you register, you can vote every
0: single day. For how long? Well, they're in round two right now, and voting continues through November 29th. Oh, wow. So we could all get in about, what, fifteen twenty votes for them? Definitely. If we go every day. How many people are competing? In this particular round, there are 10 couples. So we need to get in there and get Liz this wedding that she so dearly deserves. She gave up a kidney for it, for
5: crying out loud.
0: Well, she didn't give up a kidney for it. She gave up a kidney for love, and therefore love owes her a good
5: wedding. So there you go. Here's what you do. Go to tinyurl.com slash Liz Matt that's L-I-Z-M-A-T-T or if you're feeling funny go to tinyurl.com slash
0: wedding. help out our friends and uh, we'll get them into the next round hopefully I hope so really how often do you find two people who are so in love that they are able to stay together through all that medical trauma and heal each other that's amazing they're sharing a kidney man I don't believe they're sharing a kidney. Oh, that's true. I believe they each have their own kidney now. But they're like matching sets. It's true. They have matching kidneys. That's so cute. It is adorable. How come we don't have matching kidneys? You don't love me. I love you with all my kidney. <laughs>
1: Back from break, and we are back from break. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> I would embarrass myself and yeah. kill my throat, and my wife it would kill me if I did that any longer.
1: <laughs> yes, time for feedback. <laughs>
2: yeah, it shit my pants too, man. I can't do that right when we jump into the show. Yes, ooh, man. <laughs> but that—that's clearly for Christine and Ashley.
1: <laughs> clearly, a little bit so. of fun. I'm just having a little bit of fun there. Yes. All right, so uh, we got two weeks of feedback to get into. Um, I guess we'll go ahead and get into the emails first and uh, go from there. So, you ready?
2: Yes, absolutely. All right. Okay, so to start off, uh, it is from a friend of the show, Jeff, and Jeff's email title is Nihilistic Film. Actually, fuck, I just outed him. Uh, Not outed him, but uh, (laughs) revealed his secret identity. It's shiftless. Yeah. whose blog I've never mentioned, but I want to mention mention going forward, it's Scared Shiftless in Shasta, Nice, which is S-H-A-S-T-A. So Scared Shiftless in Shasta.blogspot.com. I'll add it to the blog roll. Title is Nihilistic Film. Hi, gentlemen, listening to your interesting review of I Stand Alone, uh, brought to mind another nihilistic film from '96 called God's Lonely Man. It's a violent and depressing study of an adult bookstore clerk who's a complete social misfit and drug addict. Reminded me a lot of Taxi Driver and I Stand Alone because it features the same kind of stream of consciousness voiceover. Also the protagonist is much like Travis Bickle in that he tries to save a young girl from being exploited. Paul Dooley co-stars and and plays one of the most morally repugnant characters ever. The film doesn't come near the stylistic heights of I Stand Alone but it's still pretty powerful and bleak and is worth a look if uh, you like him depressing. Also glad to hear you've covered, I guess I'll put it in past tense now, One false move. Uh, It's an all-time favorite. I became a fan of both Billy Bob and Cinda Williams due to this movie, and Bill Paxton is always great. Thanks for the podcast. You hope the good work. Shiftless.
1: Nice. Um, What was that called? God's Lonely Man?
2: God's Lonely Man, which as you talk, I'm going to try to add to my zip queue.
1: Nice. I've never seen it either.
2: Yeah. Shiftless. Shiftless can always be counted on to uh, drum up some
1: rare rare gems. Yeah, he is the master of obscure cinema it seems to me he always brings up something I'm like I've never seen that dude mm-hmm. uh, yeah but uh, yeah okay well there's not a whole lot else to talk about there I'm going to definitely check out uh, guys the only man and get back to you on that alright do you want to You want tag team or uh, and, you know that doesn't mean what you think it means
2: <laughs> yeah sure that'd be great my throat's a little sore this morning I haven't had me, uh, a chance to uh, take
1: anything let me pull up some uh, mail here Let me, because I'm of course not prepared as a do you want me to read another one first? Yeah, go ahead and read another one first, and then I'll go back. <laughs>
2: this is from Matt in Ohio. Uh, hello, gents. This is my second email to you guys. As I'd emailed you a few weeks ago about the evil that men do. Glad both of you reviewed I Stand Alone as I needed some kind of reason to revisit it. I'd watched it for the first time earlier this year, and since I was going through some stressful changes in my life, it probably wasn't the best film to watch as that certain scene between the butcher <laughs> and its pregnant girlfriend practically ruined the film for me, and the overall pure nihilism of the film put me off. With my life back in order now, I wonder if I could look at it in a different light. I do respect Noé for having the guts to really do some of the most abrasive films in the industry today. I still need to see another Void as it had not played anywhere near me since I lived in the boondocks of Northwest Ohio. But I saw this being released on DVD and Blu-ray in January. you up the great reviews,
1: Matt from Ohio. Yes, you definitely need to check out some more Noé. But and again, you know, he is—I guess for some an acquired taste. Um, I think for film buffs, though, I think all film buffs. uh, always get something out of Noe, even if it's not something that's right up your alley, so to speak. I guess in the case of Noe, right up your tunnel. (laughs) Or up your ass. Yes. (laughs) Which he seems to go up quite a bit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, whether it's creative, stylistically, technically, um, viscerally, he'll hit you on it. You'll find some connection. Now, whether everything else kind of sours you a bit, I guess, is up to the, the, the film viewer, but yeah, as, as everyone knows, Sammy and I definitely put him in the, the upper, upper echelon of filmmakers working today.
1: Correct. All right, next email. This is from uh, Jeff in England. Uh, he says, good morning, guys. Jeff Collin from Rainy England. I have never taken the time to write to any show before. Having been listening to you guys nearly two years now, I wanted to say a big thank you for producing such a wonderful show. My taste in movies is very similar to you guys, and I'm always keen to see and hear what you review and how you felt about what you watched. I have been a bit down on my luck recently, and at times i felt really fed up and miserable. My mood is not helped by having to walk three to four miles to work and back each day. However, your show really gives me a lift and helps me along the way. Despite never having had the pleasure of meeting you uh, both, I feel uh, I have a couple of close friends escorting me. This probably sounds really melodramatic and a little OTT, but what does OTT stand for? In in your own way, you really have... Off uh, the topic, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Man, man, you really... Uh, have made a difference to the quality of my life. Anyway, that's enough of the mushy stuff. As a cult film fan, I feel it is my, duly, it is my duty to recommend a couple of films. Uh, one, The Candy Snatchers. A real treat and a real 70s film. At first glance, it seems like your average made-for-TV fodder, over-lit and overacted, but the film fires in enough sex and violence and some nasty surprises. It also stars sexy Tiffany Bowling. I'm sure you guys have seen it, but if not, check it out. Uh, Cold Prey 1 and 2, Scandinavian countries are really pushing ahead in the horror film stakes. In my, opinion, in my opinion, gently moving in front of the French. For example, everyone has seen Let the Right One In, which, uh, which is a fine horror movie. The corporate movies feature tourist skiers being hunted down by a mysterious slasher. It is also one of those rare occasions where the sequel improves upon the original. The lead actress, Ingrid bolsol Berdal, I hope I said that right, is a real treat too. Go see. And Next Door, also known as Naboer 2005, another Scandinavian film, This one is a really dark and disturbing Polanski-style thriller, shocking and sexy with some neat little twists and turns. It runs quite close to the bone and predates the misogynistic tendencies of the recent release The Killer Inside by a few years. It has been released in the U.S. on the Danger After Dark DVD label and it is well worth a watch. One day when I am back on my feet, I hope to get to TIFF and buy you both a big drink. Well, one can always live in hope. In the meantime, please keep up the good work. Thanks again, Jeff.
2: Okay. Um, I'll let you get your breath. And Jeff, uh, firstly, I think I can speak for both of us in saying, you know, you saying what you've said uh, is the reason we get up and we do the show when we're tired and we don't want to really do it as much as we love film. I mean, everyone knows, man. When you're in bed, you want to stay in that bed. Yeah. You know, it's comfortable and it's just, you know, you turn down almost anything. Sometimes. Especially,
1: especially in the, yeah, especially in the winter. Oh, oh
2: yeah. The <laughs> winter's the worst. You get down on the hardwood floor, man, it's fucking cold. And, not that I lie on the hardwood floor recording. <laughs> But uh, and if I do, I get the uh, the Bert skin rug out. But uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it just to hear you say that and to say it, it, it brings you a little uh, little joy in your day, it it really does mean a lot, you know, to, to for people to say that. So, yes. so thank you very much. Yes. Um, now onto the cinematic stuff. Uh, we have reviewed candy Statures. Neither one of us liked it that much. We felt the, the the tone was uneven. Mm-hmm. Um Cold Prey I fucking hate, and we'll <laughs> never watch the second one with all due respect. Uh but I will check out next door. Um maybe Sammy will, I guess one of us will see it and recommend it the other. Uh
1: yeah, yeah. I'll I'll check it out at some point. Um I never heard of it. It's another one of those. So Yeah. It's going on the yeah. list I'm writing right right here right now. So right next to God's Lonely Man.
2: Yeah, I already zipped uh Man. God Lonely God's uh, only man so thank you very much for that and yeah here we get to tiff i'll uh godly take up on that drink and then you can take us up on one immediately following and it can get messy as (laughs) we've been known to do in the queen city yes
1: (laughs) yes yes plans go awry i just won't fist pump every time (laughs) and and, uh a lot of a lot of cruising dancing uh (laughs) Thankfully, thankfully. Uh, of
2: course, one move. There wasn't other moves. Uh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a lot of fist pumping while I was soaping my fist.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Zom was nowhere to be seen. I mean, your, your fist was soaped. It's, uh,
1: yeah. yeah, he missed out on the you know on some real fist pumping, so to speak. Yeah.
2: <laughs> he certainly did. And I'll tell you, when I pulled into my hotel, uh, I saw right in front of us there was a plate that was West Virginia. And I got excited, but uh, it was not to be. Uh, uh. So, next time, next time uh, Next one is from very good friend of the show, Tim And uh, Tim says, never too young to die, shit-tacular yeah. Greetings boys, just wanted to drop a couple cents down on the last few episodes As always, you guys never fail to bring home the groceries and pony up some interesting choices to review Here's a few points to ponder you gotta love Joe Spinelli, he's been in some of the most memorable films of our time, and although he might have looked like the dog's breakfast, <laughs> he's passed himself off like a million dollar check, he always came as close to knocking boots with Carolyn Monroe as any of us ever dreamed to, I put Spinelli in the same class as people like John Cazale in terms of their influential films he's been part of. Uh, which I think I'd, I'd mentioned, actually. Uh, you really have to thank Gaspar and away for creating great pieces of art that are so effective in helping to rid yourself of unwanted friends and girlfriends. Nothing says fuck <laughs> off to dead relationships like making her sit through irreversible. <laughs> All of New noise canon films work as a great litmus test in separating friends and enemies. It's not about loving the content, but the intent and the approach. No waste films are like war, they present us with inhumanities that men are capable of, the unseen ties that bind us and ultimately destroy us, and the fragility of life. A master craftsman if there ever was. Uh, never too young to die, also known as never too young to vomit, due to one Gene Simmons. <laughs> I remember seeing this on Super Channel uh, on Canadian pay TV, and after revisiting this, all I have to say is that my stomach has once again been turned. There are many kinds of cheese in this world with varying fragrances, but then you get that rancid runny nacho cheese that burns your nostril hairs. We can only imagine this would be akin to the stench that wafted out of that sweaty Vegas showgirl costume Simmons pranced around in. Ooh. Jesus Christ, he looked like the aftermath of Andrew the Giant or Terry Bam Bam Gordy <laughs> run over by a floated a gay pride parade. Nice. No offense to our gay and lesbian brethren, as I couldn't even imagine a pack of trannies that would want to be seen within fifteen feet of that fifty feet of that abomination of the eyeballs. <laughs> Jesus like I could to hold my chatter and felt the utmost necessity to douche my eye sockets in heavy duty bleach wow. quite sure that Simmons and Stamos can only remember this in the same way someone remembers being caught fondling the family dog as a child they think <laughs> if they keep denying it it never happened but we will always remember like the highlights of a Bangkok ping pong show how could you forget Gil Batman should be commended for pinching off the spectacular steamer <laughs> I'm sure Will already knows this, but the rest of the family wanted to make it known that the lovely Vanity is indeed a proud Canadian from Niagara Falls. One of my favorite Vanity joints is the rarely seen Tanya's Island. She's credited as Dee Dee Winters, but Vanity finds herself a castaway on a tropical island with a gorilla and his banana. Soon the jungle fever ensues, and before you can say King Kong Dong, Vanity is pursued by the primate in his Empire State Building. For Vanity fans, it's definitely one for the spank bank. Thanks for letting me have my peace, boys, and as always, keep it long and keep it strong. Ghetto Tim.
1: Yeah, Tanya's Island is uh, one of those weird movies that you come across and you're like, oh my God, how'd this ever get made?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've always wanted to. And, of course, I knew Vanity was Canadian. We Canadians always, I think I've said to you, Sammy, like to pipe up when someone we like. That's actually kind of cool.
1: Kind of like the gorilla here with there's a banana. You pipe up. You certainly do pipe up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, everything, yeah, the Gasper Noé, it's not a relationship film. That's not a date film director, probably. Well, maybe. Probably, unless you're into heavy yeah. yeah. Some, people might be, yeah some people might be into it. But uh, yeah, no, everything Tim says is obviously correct. Uh, and yes, Never Too Young Die is shit It's one of those special movies, as we like to say. <laughs> and Nacho
2: Cheese Scent Wafting is probably an accurate uh, scent that would come from that suit. And that kind of grosses me out, really. <laughs> I'm a little queasy. Like, I'm not going to lie. 735, I didn't think I'd be this queasy. Okay, so uh, the next email is from... Uh, just a reminder uh, for our friends at cdb and they're going to have a uh, an uncut and remastered version of night of the sexual demons it's going to be available very soon and in celebration of that they're offering 20 percent off all orders of four titles or more promo code is sexual demons so i just nice. wanted to send that along to everyone as good as good title for a promo code as there is
1: <laughs> i guess so <laughs>
2: um, okay so steve uh, sent us something he's a filmmaker um if he's listening and this isn't just, uh, get your foot in the door time, then, uh, by all means, uh, shoot them over to us. But I guess you need to address contact us one more time to prove you're not, it's, it's not all about you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, yeah.
1: It's not spam like the MC sex incident. Did I tell you that Matt Suzuki got an email from that guy too? Fucking
2: <laughs> MC sex. <laughs> And I did, all this time, I thought Matt was MC6.
1: <laughs> yes. I told, you, I told him the same thing. I thought the same thing. Yeah, it's a
2: fitting, a title fitting of uh, Matt Suzaka.
1: Hey, hey, uh, we got dog craziness in the background. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: right, tell you what, this is a long email. Why don't I start reading it then? Yeah, go ahead. This is really long. Okay, first time writing in. Hello, gents. First off, I'd like to thank you for a great show. I've only listened for two to three months now, and I'm trying to get through the back catalog as well as listening to new shows I stumbled across your show while surfing around in the OMG web store. It's my first time writing in. Since I haven't listened to all your shows, I'm not aware of all the movies you've gone through. I've listened to episode 1 up to 41 and 100 to 106, so I still have a lot to look forward to. I really enjoyed the Pusher Trilogy show as well since I'm Danish, but I have a different opinion about the movies than you do. First one is my favorite. Part 2 was a solid movie, but Part 3 was a disappointment. I got to see Part 3 in the cinema with a QA and a with Refin and Peter Peter guy who made the music, and Zlatko. So that was at least uh, assured an interesting evening. Have you gotten around to watching Bleeder yet? I think it's referenced best movie, not only, not only because they're watching Lustig's Maniac in the movie. Speaking of Maniac, I would I really enjoyed your review when you mentioned the mannequins in Spinell's apartment. I got to think of how cool it would be if Henry still would turned up to do some damage in the end. Ooh. Perfect ending. Uh, Rick mentioned the rig with William Forsyth in one of the newer episodes. <clears throat> and I wonder why it wasn't the only Oil rig horror movie, it isn't. I instantly thought of one of my wild VHSs. I couldn't remember the title, but I knew it should have it. I should have it somewhere in the collection, but since I can't find it, I did some digging online. And it's Proteus, a.k.a. Doden's Platform. It's the VHS cover uh, from Denmark I've included in the mail. I can't remember if it's any good, though. Oh. I'm rambling, but I have one more thing I want to mention. Convoy is my favorite Peckinpah movie, maybe because I've watched it countless times growing up, but I still love it to this day. The last time I watched it, I got the feeling that the waitress, Robert Duck is fooling around with, is actually married to Lyle, which explains Lyle's hating truckers, and my RD seems to know her husband. It's so the way Lyle and the waitress talk to each other when he's handcuffed to the bar stool that made me think of it. Any thoughts? I'll rewatch it soon to see if my theory holds. You don't need to include this email in your feedback section. Roger over, Al.
1: Nice. Um, it's interesting. He found Fon's Convoy to his favorite Peck and it's, it's, it's interesting to me. Uh, you know being in another country and stuff it is a very Americana movie uh in a different way it 's like a western with trucks, obviously, so it 's very interesting
2: yeah, it kind of combines like the Burt comedies of the day with kind of western elements and mm-hmm. you because know, you can clearly see Bert in the the rubber duck roll,
1: oh yeah, yeah, and of course, it has the Peck and paw-esque <laughs> darkness that you know he kind of brings to stuff, which he didn 't bring a whole lot to that movie, but obviously, you can tell the parts he did bring. <laughs> Yeah, like
2: the the black uh, trucker in the southern prison or jail. Yeah. Yeah.
1: uh, Sorry, go ahead. That movie cannot be worse than The Rig. So (laughs) So you're down for little Proteus? Yeah, I'm down for Proteus.
2: (laughs) Okay, let let me know if it's any good. (laughs) I'll let you jump on the grenade first. (laughs) Um, Not to say I don't trust Alice's opinion. He he, he himself said he didn't remember if it was any good. Um, Bleeder, I have. I still haven't watched. I was going to watch the other week, and I didn't. Um, but I will let you know when I do, and I'm sure, Sammy will as well. Nice. Thank you for that, Alan.
1: Yes, appreciate that. We actually uh, read your email the first time at uh, dinner at the Cock and Bull.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right, and Cincy, that's <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, and there's something from Rescue, which is certainly not to be read on air. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and that's not Kringle related, correct? I got the assumption it was. Uh,
1: no, it's not. It's a uh, person It's something I gotta. I gotta send <coughs> you some stuff. Sending him a pair of your underwear? Yes. Yes. Slightly nice. soiled, but not completely.
2: Yes, exactly. It's, six, a very particular, it's,
1: like, it's like six hour.
2: Yes, a very particular taste he has. Yes. <laughs> um, next one is from good friend Robert, who we haven't heard from in a while. It says, Rolling Maniac. Hey, guys, before I start, I must congratulate Will on his new child. And while I'm several days late and thousands of dollars short on this one, I also congratulate the Sam U. Rye on his new edition as well. I temporarily lost my internet, or rather, I couldn't afford the internet and rent, so I had to pick one. But I'm back and for the most part caught up. Your maniac review was awesome, and you hit on all the points that stood out in the flick. Spinel was great and creepy, uh, great and creepy Joker, and the effects on the infamous shotgun seem rememberable. I used to run up and do hood slides on the trunk of my uncle's beautiful Electro 225. There's <laughs> someone who's nearly broke his leg on a fender a few times, I can attest running up on cars isn't easy. Uh, what got me was the music during the Carolyn Mineral photo shoot that going to a showdown song was stuck in my head while I was at work the next day. And when I found out you guys were doing Rolling Vengeance, I found myself dancing like Sam Rockwell at the end of Iron Man 2. Uh, this is one of those flicks my dad and I did the Rent 2 VCR record trick, uh, and like many kids my age, I was obsessed with monster trucks. One for my childhood, and I wore out the tape on that one, but I remember it was the grimy rough look of the truck, and for some reason reminds me of the Peterbilt from The Duel, or from Duel. I haven't seen it for a while so I'll be curious to hear how it holds up always listening at least for as long as I can keep a paycheck coming in
1: Rob all right, (laughs) I'm burping the boy here you might hear a loud belch or you might hear some talk he likes to chatter when I'm thumping him on the back here don't you buddy yeah um yeah uh, that's uh, how I remember uh, Rolling Vengeance was the uh, VCR rental days and I too was a fan of the monster trucks as a child
2: yeah I think we all were I think uh, certainly you know big part of our childhood i've never seen dual so i
1: can't uh, verify yeah. if it's it, close enough it, it it well the truck is similar in some ways in that kind of rusty heap kind of way um it, it's interesting the i was thinking we'll talk more about this obviously you, know, you guys know we sometimes record our feedback for our review so we'll talk more about this in the review and or you heard us talk more about this interview but you know there's something that just uh, appeals to the young child in you about gigantic trucks running over cars Oh, well, for sure. It seems so ridiculous when you think about it as an adult. But as a child, it's like the most appealing thing. It's one of those weird things.
2: Oh, yeah. No, absolutely, it is. It's, you know, definitely.
1: <laughs> um, what does he say? Oh, he said something about the slide on fenders. fingers. Look, uh, you know, if that's a – I used to do that all the time, man, because of Starskin Hutch. I was a big Starskin Hutch guy when I was a kid, and they used to sometimes run across the hoods and slide across. Or the Duke boys did it,
2: too. Oh, I tell you how many times I tried to convince my parents to let me try to jump in the car that way. <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> and then I didn't trust that uh, as I got bigger that you know my six foot two fifteen frame would. You know I'm not very cat like
1: anymore. So. All right, I'm gonna try to set up voicemail while uh, feeding this child. So let's see what happens here. Hang on a second.
2: Ground
4: control to Doctor Zom. <laughs>
1: You got, some, uh, you got some. You got. You got TV. Is that, is that him with a TV on the Dr. background?
4: Zom. Yes.
1: <laughs> Sounds like it's totally like in my room. <laughs>
4: Take your Viagra pill and put your dildo on. Oh, that's interesting, gentlemen. This is Doctor Zom. I am in the cocoon. I am trying to sleep. Maybe turn but the TV Paul on. Paul Sorvino won't yeah. shut the fuck up in the background. <laughs>
1: oh, Sorvino! There we go.
4: <laughs> the carbon dioxide is building up, and I don't know how much longer I can sustain the pace of this feedback. Open the pod bay doors, Hal.
1: The pace isn't real impressive. <laughs> I watched a movie. Kind of stuck in first. Called <coughs> Dear Zachary.
4: Oh, Oof. that might explain and the pace. And now, yeah. I am having to rest and to. <sighs> this movie was so depressing. But I don't know if I can go on with this facade. <sighs> Chief just farted.
2: Shouldn't be reading in too deep then.
4: Anyway. It was a good movie. If you want to blow your fucking brains out. After watching it, Paul Sorvino, why won't he leave me alone and let me sleep? He is my nemesis. He is me.
1: I got a little meta toward the end there. All right, uh, it's okay. I don't know what, what I got to add to that. Dear Zachary is uh, depressing, uh, oddly fascinating, and it, it's a weird duck. And uh, I think we've talked enough about it on the show in the past. So, if anybody yeah. hasn't seen it, uh, you yeah, know, check it out if you're interested.
2: All uh, I would say it will rip your fucking heart out. Mm-hmm. It is one of the the best but most tragic documentaries I've ever seen. So just yep. be
1: warned. Be warned. All right. Next voicemail.
7: Hey, gents. It's Emily. Um, Enjoyed your French week of discussion. Um, I stand alone. Really curious if either of you or if anybody really has seen, um, I think it was Claude Chabral's uh, film from, like, the 60s or 70s called The Butcher, or probably, like, Le Butcher or something in French. Um, But (laughs) the American title is The Butcher. Because it's a, not that it's a similar story, but it's also this kind of, um, early sociopath who is a butcher and lives in France and blah, blah, um, And I remember watching it in, like, a French film class I took back in the day of college. And um, when I watched it I Stand Alone about, maybe, like, two months ago, I just kept really thinking about that one, wondering if it was influential at all, on, on, no way. But I don't think I've ever heard anybody compare the two, so just curious and putting that out there. Um, And then in terms of good old nihilism on film, I don't know, there's ones I could think of. Um, I know I really love Dead Girl, and I know I was in the minority on that. Um, But also, just in terms of Haneke, have you guys covered a Haneke film? And when are you going to? I would be curious to hear such discussion. I've decided I hate him, but I'm fascinated by him, because any time I watch one of his films, I get really interested and then I lose all interest and then it ends and I get really angry um, and then I spend the next 30 minutes trying to talk it out and figure out what I thought of it and realize that it must have been a good movie because it was really interesting but I really know what it meant and I think he hates me and all of that stuff but um, <laughs> yeah, probably a good filmmaker. All that stuff. Okay,
3: uh, I will see you next week. Bye.
1: Okay. Yeah, we did see her. You know, the weirdest thing about talking to Emily in person was uh, I wanted to make traffic noises the whole time I was talking to her because I was so unused to hearing her talk without traffic in the background. (laughs) Yeah, that and she
2: didn't just all of a sudden cut out mid-sentence.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she she has great uh, control of her uh, her respiratory system in person. Like on on the phone, because she's walking and talking, you can tell she, you know, sometimes she's struggling a little bit as we all do when we walk and talk. You you, you know that from... uh, Running between oh, yeah. screenings, a tiff. I don't care what kind of oh, yeah. shape you're in. You 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 know your breath gets off, and then you're like, next thing you know, you can't breathe. So uh, yeah, but it was interesting talking to her in person. That you know, they, anyway, uh, yeah, it was great seeing her and everything else. Haneke, uh we we've never covered Haneke on the show, have we?
2: No, we have not. Um, I'm sure at some point we get around to it. He's not outside of our realm. Um, I kind of deal about his films the, sort of the same way she does. I don't hate them as instantly. I am kind of cold by them until I kind of think about it for a while and chalk my through. But that's a good, you know, good, good filmmaker. He doesn't just kind of hand it over to us, makes us work for, for what we feel. So good stuff. Uh, Chabrol is a filmmaker I'm familiar with, but I haven't really gotten around to much. I have Nada, which is a, a, a heist film of sorts or a robbery film. that's actually got Fabio Testi in it. Uh, I got a couple of Chabrol films. I've been getting into him for a while. So,
1: yeah. Um, i like haneke uh but i like him because he is difficult i don't like him because he's uh well no i'll take that i I, I like him for all reasons but uh his films does do sometimes irritate me and drive me crazy but uh uh, that's good at least it makes me think which is uh you know a lot more than i can say for a lot of cinema (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um okay so next voicemail. Here we go. Now, Rupert sent in one voicemail, but he kept getting cut off, so there's going to be like three voicemails. We'll play them all back-to-back here.
3: Hey,
8: John, it's is Rupert. Um, so I hate to be one of those guys, but um, uh, I kind of started to mention this to uh, Rick on Twitter. Um watched Dust Devil and uh, had been meaning to see it forever because I, I was working in a video store uh, in 1990. See ninety two, um, and and well beyond that, for that matter. But uh, but I remember it coming out, and you know, it getting some attention at the video store, and I remember wanting to see it, and then for some reason I didn't see it, or at least I didn't remember seeing it. And um, after watching it, now I realize maybe I had started to watch it at some point, and it just lost me and so I stopped and never came back to it because it was it had some notoriety in my head like I owe that owe that movie you know like but I really honestly couldn't remember and, and even in watching it I, I wasn't like well this all looks familiar but it still felt kind of like I was always like why didn't I watch that movie it's got this following anyway <laughs> so uh, I know Rick had said that the first time
1: I oh, cut off now you Rupert
8: again. sorry I got cut off the uh, point of all that rambling was that I thought Dust Devil was pretty meh. Uh, was pretty underwhelmed by it. Um, found it pretty dull, and and I don't I don't want to go so far as to say pretentious, but I mean I see the beauty in in the shot selection and the cinematography and whatnot, uh, I just thought it was kind of dull. Uh, it took way 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 too long to get going for me, and uh, the ultimate payoff at the end um, just kind of left me kind of cold. Um, I give it about a six out of 10, maybe, um, you know, so maybe I'll come back to it, but to be, I gotta be honest with you, you know, I don't know why I would revisit that movie because it, there's so many other movies I haven't seen. And I know you guys know this feeling like maybe it just didn't show me enough that made me think, you know, I need to come back to that. I mean, I certainly was compelled by your review to to finally watch it, but I was sort of let down. So anyway, sorry not to be a naysayer, but and I know I'm in the minority on that because I um, I, I know there's a lot of fans for that movie out there. So uh, anyway, um, and on another note, Zom mentions briefly uh, "I, the Jury" in his latest voicemail, and um, my ears perked up a little bit. That's a that's a heck of a fun movie. I was just thinking, uh, I wonder. If
1: Yep, and he calls back again.
8: Son of a bitch. That was my (laughs) fault. That's my stupid phone. Anyway, sorry. I, the jury. Uh, Wondering if either of you guys have seen it um, and what you thought of it. I think it's a neat little sleeves festival. Armando Sante is great. There's a lot of good supporting players. Written by Larry Cohen. Um, Would be great. GG TMC fodder, I think. Um, Just a thought. Anyway, uh, I will speak to you gentlemen soon. Okay, bye.
1: All right, uh... All I can say about Armando Sante is he's clearly one of the top five chest hair individuals in the world. <laughs>
2: I yeah, that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't really have a whole lot more to add. Uh, you know I mean? <laughs> as far as, you know, uh, not liking Dust Devil, that's understood. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, to each throne. Yeah, it's it's subjective, man.
2: That, I, you know, you give it a shake and, you know, that's, uh, that's all you can do.
1: Yeah, I can see where some people wouldn't like it. Oh for sure. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, next voice here we go. Blast from the past a little bit.
6: Hi gents, it's Ben from Australia here. Um, I have been way out of touch with your show for a while. I'm still fairly behind. I'm just listening to episode 100 now. Um, I haven't called in for a while. I haven't, I've been so busy, I've just been listening to reviews and I've been skipping feedback, so I feel really bad calling in feedback if I haven't heard other people's feedback. It just seems rude to me. I've been listening to the feedback in this week's episode because I do have a little bit more free time now, which is good. Um, and, you know, I missed it. All you guys out there, you give great feedback. Such good feedback. Such a great show. Happy 100, happy 105, happy 150, when well, you know you'll make it. It just. Brilliant, guys. Love it so much. Now, I did want to just quickly call in. Somebody's probably already spoken exact words I'm about to say, but I'll do my best to sound original. Um, Likeable characters in horror films. I've watched three films this week. Um, Now, uh, uh, Will brings up the example of Angst, which, unfortunately, I've never seen. But that one, you know, you're following. You know you're in with a bad guy doing a bad thing. I've recently watched three films. uh, House of the Devil... You love the main character. She's fantastic. You feel so shit about stuff that happens to her, and that really draws you into the film and attention more. I watched Welcome to the Jungle, the really fucking awful uh, American cannibal film from like two years ago, and hated all the main characters, but they're characters you're meant to care about. Like, well, you're not meant to care about them because they're shitheads, but you should be. And it just, I was bored. Like, the film was crap too, but that was the, like, it, the biggest cardinal sin outside of not being gory. Um, and then I watched a film called Altitude, which kind of was halfway between the two. It had some real likeable characters or some shithead characters. And it just felt like, it just seemed pointless. It, they should have worked harder to make the characters likeable in those situations. Because otherwise I'm having to work twice as hard to watch a dumb film where people die and I don't like the characters. I mean, if they just wrote the characters all really nice, eh, maybe it'd be a bit unbelievable because not everyone's really nice. But for a dumb film, I'd rather be liking the characters and then watching them die. A bit more tension. Anyway, I'm probably running along. Thanks again, guys. I'll catch you later. Bye. All
1: right. Ben actually called back this week, too, so we'll get back to him in a little while. Do uh, you hear this when I'm eating? Uh, only when it rattles against your teeth. <laughs> what, are so? you, what are you eating there?
2: Picked him up in the states. Some creme
1: brulee almonds. Oh, nice, nice. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I understand what he's saying. Uh, Altitude. I almost watched that movie. I don't know why. It looked like it might be interesting. Had a good, a good box art, or at least box art that spoke to me, so to speak.
2: And he does bring up a good point about the central character in *Hustle Devil*.
1: Totally agree with him. Yes. Oh yeah, completely.
2: <clears throat> All right. And good looking up, Ben. I'm glad we're glad to hear you. It's Sometimes rare I know you're a busy lad, so if we can, it's it's great to hear from
1: you. Yes. Next voicemail.
7: Hey, guys. It's Christine. Um, I'm calling from outside, and it's really loud and windy, so this is probably a mistake. Uh, Hindsight 2020, but I just wanted to call and say I think the show has been extra wonderful lately. I don't know what it is, but it's just really, since you hit 100 and passed, it's been, like, extra fabulous. And I just wanted to make sure you guys knew... What an amazing job you were doing. Um, and I'll see you soon, like in a couple days. So I'll tell you that in person. And um, no comments from this week. I love her dearly. She's an angel. And um, she'll get what's coming to her. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.
1: All right. <laughs> that was uh, Christine calling in.
2: We actually, Sadly, we, we let them off the hook with that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. We listened to that. the... Uh, we listened to uh, that voicemail with Christine in the room. It was a real meta moment this past weekend.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and she tried to, you know, do damage control and spin doctorate a little bit. <laughs> you know, it, it, I'll tell you, it's great to hear their voices after the fact. And that brings a smile to my face. Although a little bit of sadness because it's like we're not going to see each other for a long time. But Right.
1: Um, <laughs> my wife's in the background of this uh, room teasing me about my thumbs up photos on Facebook. She's saying she's embarrassed for me. Cause of all my, all my thumbs up shots. Nice. <laughs> me and me and Mike from Chin Stroker versus Funner. Mike was talking about that one time on one of his shows. He was talking about how you know Paul McCartney used to do this thumbs up thing whenever he would agree with stuff, and how he kind of adopted that and made him look like a fool. And I sometimes do the thumbs up thing just because I want to look like a cheesehead. But evidently, my wife doesn't get the joke. She's laughing in the background. She's not down with the thumbs. I'm not down not with, down the, with the Ebert. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah not down with it, but, uh, you know, All right. <laughs> next uh next voice bill.
4: Hello, gentlemen, it's Mike down in Florida. Um, I just wanted to call in, let you know that I was really enjoying the new segment on the show, the mall talk with Sir Ian Loring. That's going to be a, <laughs> a good one. I hope that we can, you know, use that in the future. Um I didn't have much else to say about that. Just wanted to let you know that. So uh, I'll talk to you
1: later. Bye. <laughs> the mall talk with Ian Loring. <laughs> Not a lot to add, you have to go back and listen to the episode to get onto that one. But Mike and them oh, get Mike and them getting ready to get going again on the show, so
2: nice to have that train rolling.
1: Yes it is. Uh, okay, next voicemail. Another short one. Here we go. Gentlemen,
4: it's low tap. Um, wasn't the uh workout video thing that was on in the mornings that we were that everyone was talking about? Wasn't that called the twenty minute workout? I believe it was. I remember it well. I think it's when Axel was watching when he gets his head sawed off by Jason Voorhees in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four,
1: too. Yeah, I think you might be right.
4: Anyways, uh, so twenty minute workout. Okay, uh,
1: that's it. Bye. I think I'll have to check in and see that on Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. I don't remember, but I think you might be right. Well, he he calls it the twenty minute workout. I, I called it the two minute workout. Yes, uh, sir. <laughs> well, depending on how you wake up, sometimes two minutes yeah. might might be a little long. I mean, might take a little less time than that. If you hit the ground running, so to speak. Yes. (laughs) You know, it depends on. Sometimes it depends on the material you dream the night before. Very true. Sometimes you can wake up, you know, just with a uh, throbbing headache, so to speak. "Quote unquote," (laughs) Christine, with the quotes. (laughs) Yeah, quotes.
2: Air I wish we could see the air quotes. Uh,
1: I think they're on the Facebook out there and the Twitter. There's a lot of video of the uh, the pod podosphere out there this week.
2: And I hope that someone was going to put all the videos on Facebook. I can't wait because I want to upload them all too. I,
1: yeah.
2: I love that so many people snap so many pictures so I can steal a bunch of them.
1: Yeah, because, you know, because so. I always intend to shoot a lot of pictures and a lot of video. But inevitably, and I'll talk about this more in the intro, inevitably I always end up sidetracked. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I'm glad. Uh, thank, thank God for Randy. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, indeed. <laughs> all right, next voicemail. This is a familiar voice.
9: Hey, gents, it's Uncool Cat again. Um, Just wanted to call to say thanks for having me on last week. It was a blast, had a really good time. And to talk about this week's show, which is uh, Rolling Vengeance, a great little con-exploitation film, uh, which, oddly enough, I I work in downtown Toronto, and Lawrence Dane, the guy who plays, I think it's Big Joe or Big Ed or Big Something, um, is always (laughs) hanging around the Starbucks I'm at, and... uh, even the Plaza, I've opened the door for him, and I've always wanted to, like, ask him about Rituals, uh, another can-exploitation film. Yes. Him and Help whole he plays a guy named Minzy or Mitzi or something, and I always really liked him in that, so I always kind of wanted to talk to him. And I, I don't know, when s- approaching celebrities, it's kind of hard, especially in real life if they're not at a convention or something. It's like they should have a handkerchief for something, like gay people and cruising, you know, like... <laughs> green for, oh, I like talking about my work, or red for leave me alone, or yellow for pee on me, you know, just, you know, the important things, so, but yeah, Rolling Vengeance, a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, Friends of Eddie Coyle, which I loved, and I know Will is a big fan of, and a great companion piece for the town, too, uh, the Ben Affleck film, but uh, yeah, which brings me to my question, which is, uh, Criterion did a really nice job of releasing Friends of Eddie Coyle. And I was wondering if you guys had a favorite Criterion release. Um, la- mine would be Brazil. I remember buying that way back in the Laserdisc days and just being blown away by the multiple. It, w- it was like a little film school on Brazil, um, prepackaged and costing a lot because it was Laserdisc. But if you guys had a favorite Criterion release, and I think with that, um, yep, my yellow handkerchief is out of the wash, so I'm <laughs> off to Starbucks. Later.
1: All right. I oh, love it. Um, yeah, just approach the guy, man. Just ask him about the Monster Truck movie. Just do it. Yeah, I would. <laughs> what, what can it'll, go probably, wrong? it'll
2: probably make him happy. It's not like he's one of these A-listers who gets harassed all the time.
1: This is true. This is true. Um, what was the other thing you talked about? Uh,
2: well, I wore a purple hanky in my back pocket <laughs> at and Everyone knows what that means. Who was there, but uh...
1: – <laughs> oh. Oh, man.
2: You can only guess. Yeah.
1: I wore the black and white striped hanky, which uh, <laughs> you can guess what that is, too. But uh, yeah. just remember that I'm also a huge Quiet Riot fan. <laughs>
10: <laughs> so <Yep. laughs>
1: we got that going for us. Um, oh, he, oh, My favorite Criterion release. Uh, that's kind of a difficult question. I will say that my, my the one that comes to mind immediately for me is uh, Halloween because it was the first one I bought. I, too, was a Laserdisc guy. And uh, I paid 120 dollars for Halloween on Criterion disc. Oh, fuck! Yeah, it's amazing how much we used to pay for that kind of stuff. You got you LaserDisc people out there, you can remember the pain. You know, you would. Uh, I remember when uh, Seven came out on Criterion. It was like a nice little box set, and I paid. Uh, I think I paid 100 dollars for that. And uh, I paid quite a bit for quite a few Criterion's actually.
2: Wow, well, I don't really have a favorite. I only own three. Mm-hmm. That's La Samurai, Royal Tenenbaums, and uh, Eddie Coyle. So, nice. I don't know. I'm, all of them are kind of
1: straightforward. I mean, they have some essays. and uh, uh, The Dazed you know. and Confused one's really good. For those of you who like that film a lot, it's really good. So I've heard. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of good ones out there. I'm sure a lot of our mm-hmm. listeners can pipe up some criterions. Yeah, let us know which, uh, what are your favorite ones. Mm-hmm. All right. Next voicemail. Actually, it's more, more from uh, Chris. He titled this one More Babbling.
9: Hi, gents, it's Uncool Cat calling back um, again. Uh, Just seem to can't stop talking. I just forgot to ask you a question on the last voicemail, which is if either of you, um, being fans of crime movies, are like the crime comics, particularly Ed Brubaker's comics. He's done uh, Criminal, which is fantastic, Sleeper, or Incognito, which kind of combines the superhero genre with the crime comic and uh, really, really effective stuff and uh, wondered if you have any suggestions for other really fantastic crime comics or if you're fans of Brubaker yourself. And uh, I promise not to call back until the next time I call back. <laughs> All right. Uh, good show. Looking forward to the reviews and talk to you later. Bye.
1: All right. And some of those people who live outside the country that don't want to call the fo- uh, you know, call us on the phone line because it might cost you extra money. You can do what uh, Chris did. He just sent me uh, MP3s. So, uh, as you know, he is... Canuckian, so Canuckian, <laughs> <laughs> he's a Canuckian, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, uh, okay, uh, I'm a big comic fan, and actually, uh, Chris, I agree with you, Baker is a great crime writer, uh, really good stuff there, the only thing I can uh, relate to uh, that I can kind of push you toward, if you haven't checked out Scalped, uh, it's uh, basically a kind of a cop crime thing set on an Indian reservation, and it's really, really, really good, you should definitely check that out. Uh, that's the only when it comes to mind right off the top of my head. But keep hitting me up, Chris. I can give you some more because I like the crime comics a lot.
2: I would, but I don't really read them. I read one. Was it called "A Hundred Bullets"? Or
1: yeah, yeah that, that's a good one too.
2: Yeah, I like that. But...
1: Brian Azzarello and uh, I forget yeah. the other guy's name. It's it's good too.
2: I gotta get, a good one to get away from these fucking almonds, man. Jeez, <laughs> I'm gonna feel disgusted with all stop before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, uh, next voicemail, Doc Zom. This is from this week. We fight with all that voicemail from previous week. Now we got in, we're into this week now, so here we go.
4: Gentlemen, this is Dr. Zom. I have just contributed to cinema in America. I am just leaving the theater where I went to see... Bruce Willis in red. And um, I give it uh, two thumbs up. Uh, I got to tell you, I liked it better than The Expendables. Um, it was good. It had a hell of a cast. Uh, oh, Rebecca Pigeon. I like her. I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Uh, I like her. I liked her in Heist, when she wore those little Daisy Duke shorts. And I liked her in this. I liked Dr. Bones McCoy in this. Took me a few minutes to realize who the hell it was. He had a pretty big part. Uh, Malkovich, this is one of the best things I've seen him in in a while, because... Uh, there's been a few times where I've seen movies where I thought, ooh, Malkovich is in this. And the movie Zucked! Deluxe! <laughs> and uh, Brian Cox was in this. And, uh, you know, I love Cox.
1: Yes. Uh, Naturally. <sighs>
4: Helen Mirren was in this. And, of course, from the trailer, you know, I thought, uh, this is going to be cool you know, how they use her in this, and uh, it did not disappoint, if you will, in public, baby. (laughs) Uh, Morgan Freeman was good. Uh, Good movie. It was a good movie. Lots of action, lots of fun, lots of uh, humor. Uh, Had a little bit of a a love story in it, though there were no uh, beach volleyballers in it uh, to sweep anybody off their feet. Um... (laughs) So now, it is my. I'm taking a forced, a forced uh, vacation day, which, as I'm saying this, kind of pisses me off because um, it is what it is. I'm being forced to take Veterans Day off, but also being forced to work uh, this weekend, Whore Hound Weekend. And I just wanted to let everybody know that I am very disappointed that I will not get to meet y'all. But uh, sometime in the future, I will see all of you, maybe as a group, maybe one-on-one. So anyway, I'm heading into the Walmart uh, just to uh, kick loose get a few things, and then I'm going to go over and uh, grab a couple of hot dogs and head home, honcho boy. <laughs> this is Dr. Zom from the theater <laughs> saying,
7: <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> I,
1: have, I have no idea what that was. <laughs> Where do I? Oh, interesting, though. Interesting. Um, okay. All right. Uh, I'll take your word for it on Red. That's going to be one of those ones I check out on like cable when there's nothing else to watch. Uh, and you're right about Malkovich, man. He's one of those master check cashers. He just kind of pops up and stuff, and you think, oh, and Malkovich is in. It. He's a good actor. It should be an okay movie. And uh, you know, <laughs> and then you and then you see it. Yeah, Jonah Hex. So, <laughs> yeah, you never Red know. Red is a classic. My wife
2: I'll, I'll watch it, but I'm biding my time because so, I know she'll want to see it. What
1: Red? yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's one of the you know it, it's obviously a very hollywood movie and uh you know if, if i watch it it'll be one of those you know just whenever i it's it's it, you know when i like when i want to watch legion i watched it because you know i was like eh, let's just see what it's all about you know i had no interest in seeing it i wouldn't have pursued it but it was on netflix instant watch and i was like hey you know it's either gonna be terrible or it's gonna be okay or it's gonna be good i mean you know i'm not expecting anything and it was terrible so <laughs> you know it is what it is um uh, I don't know if I like it more than The Expendables. Doc, I'll get back to you after I see it. I highly doubt it, but that's because of my fondness for greased men, evidently. Now, if Morgan Freeman, Malkovich, and uh, Helen Mirren in particular are all running around topless in red, I can already tell you it's movie of the year. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right, next voicemail.
6: Good morning, gents. It's Ben from Australia. Uh, I'm still way behind, so I have no idea what you said to my other messages. I apologise. Still working my way through.
1: We just got to it this Uh, week. I
6: just really wanted to call up because I was listening to your Bacon Terminator episode. Um, mm, Terminators. And (laughs) Dave uh, Sleestack on Twitter board called in asking about, talking about the festivals and the Q&As and the problems with getting people to stay afterwards. Now, as someone who's worked... At a, as a firehouse manager at a film festival. There's so many problems with that, you just can't do anything. Um, you certainly cannot put the house lights up uh, too early or turn down the credit music or anything. Um, there are pe- a lot of people out there who would kick up such a fuss if even just the t- credits were interrupted, um, even with like too much obvious lighting, people talking over it, anything There's some real psycho purists out there who sit to the end and it has to be perfect and it has to be exactly as the director intended, even if it's just words scrolling up a screen. Um, Believe me, uh, just had some, like, real nutters at film festivals. It's when the the real shut-ins come out. Um, we generally have to have lots of air fresheners on hand sometimes. Ooh. Um, yeah, so there's nothing you can do, really. Basically, like people stay or they won't. But another problem with the festivals is people are running to other screenings. If you got a lot of screenings packed together across a lot of venues, time-wise packed together, then people will be sprinting off to get to a new one because a lot of people get with, like passports and things that they just see 100-plus you know, films. Um, so it's sad, but it's just a... That's something that cannot be avoided unless you set up a separate time and place to do a Q&A when people come to it deliberately. But then, you know, a lot of people would rather go and see another movie that they don't know if they're going to get a chance to see. So anyway, that's the crap situation in festivals. Maybe one day we'll figure something out, but probably not. Anyway, take it easy, guys. Keep up the good work. Ciao.
1: Festivals can be chaotic. I remember that uh, first night. I got a nice experience when we had to jump in that cab real quick. Not the other side of town, so much. We had to get over the Ryerson really quick. And I remember it's like, do we want to take a cab? Do we want to take a chance and walk? And we ended up taking a cab, and the cabbie smelled well.
2: Yes. No. It, you know, it's just one of those things. Festivals can never be perfect. I mean, even if you program them perfectly, it it always, as we say, comes down to a numbers game. So, you know. But in this case, I mean, yeah. Do you stay and watch the? Um, the Q&A, you know, if you've got another film to go. So that's just the nature of the beast, you know. But, uh, yeah, thank you again, Ben.
1: Yes, indeed. Okay, next voicemail. Let's see who we got here. I think it's another one. Oh, actually, I think it's, it's Rach. Here we go.
10: Hey, guys. It's Rach here from Girls on Film Radio. Um, I'm ringing to say thanks very much for the Never Too Young to Die review. Um, it sounds like a special Alabama's ghost kind of crazy, and I'll definitely be checking it out. But also, um, uh, in regards, I don't know whether or not you've mentioned it, um, but Matt Suzaka, who is creator of um, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby.com, um, is trying to win a competition for his fiance. Um, I mention it because uh, F13 from Cinema Diabolica has stated that if they do get through, um, he will do another season of Cinema Diabolica. So you guys all might want to check out palaver.com in the general topics. It has the links for voting so that Matt can move through and we can get some more Cinema Diabolica. So check it out all right bye
1: okay cut off right there hey uh yeah another season so i guess some of diabolic is doing seasons now that's interesting. what does constitute a season <laughs>
2: uh tw- six episodes is it in british styles where it's like less
1: yes it's a series i hope they
2: win man we gotta get more cd uh tell you what sammy uh talk about that for one sec i got a screaming
1: <laughs> yes i hear that who should be all napping. Right. One sec. All right. and when you hear this cut together you'll never notice the pause uh, yeah, so if it does constitute another season of semi that's all well and good. That's a bonus. But either way, you did hear the promo at the beginning that Derek and Miss Brynn did, and or Brother D, I should say. And uh, yeah, everybody get out there and vote for Matt. You should heard all the information there. And if not, you follow us on Facebook or go to the com forums or go to Twitter. There's all kinds of ways to do it, but just vote. Make sure Matt and them win.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know. Listen, let's face it. We're on, let's, let's call it space, We're all that age of time where it's like, if anything takes more than two minutes on the internet, we're like, "Wow, fuck it. But Matt's one of us. And even if Matt wasn't one of us, you know, it's 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 a story. It's a great story um, to help someone out really. You, you spend three minutes a day for the better part of, you know, even once. But if you can do it for a couple of weeks, you could sit back and potentially be in a position where you've helped someone have their dream winning. All because you sat in your ass and clicked your mouse for three minutes a day. It doesn't get any easier than that.
1: Right, right. Um, okay, so... That is that part. Now, interestingly, we got a Whorehound weekend voicemail. So, uh, this is quite lengthy, but, uh... you know, hey, it's a special occasion. So, let's see what this sounds like, shall we? You ready for this? Oh, boy. This might be the first time I, you've heard it. Yeah, it is,
2: actually. All I right. was going to, and I thought, no, I'll wait till we're live.
1: Okay, here we go. Girl, tell to- Sammy, I would
7: like to make your gray,
5: gray beard all the way white with my <laughs> semen. <laughs>
7: How do you
3: that
7: up? Yeah, yeah, r- yeah. R- 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Go patriot. Let's go. Let's not that episode. Well, what do you have to say to yourself and your other kind
3: of heart? That I love you. I Will. how do
7: you love yourself?
3: I love myself. <laughs> you know, obviously. And I
7: love our show and I love everyone in this room. And I love you both. Yes. And
8: I love your baby.
7: Oh, my God, Rick, like, we don't need to be weird, but your baby is really lovable. Oh, my God. He wore a hat like no motherfucker I've ever seen. <laughs> <her
3: hat. laughs> Just you. Just <laughs> you. I know not want it, because we're kidding.
7: That was a show show reference.
3: Dylan, yeah, yeah. what do you have to say that you can't say?
7: Oh, nothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> what you oh, my God. You heard you Dylan something. Just I say something on the deeply.
2: That was a deep cut. <laughs> like, you were told, when and I was just some trick and you just
3: cut my face. That's not very nice at all. At least you didn't scissor your
7: face. Uh, whatever, I <laughs> mean, that would <hurt. laughs> It
3: like the theme of the night. It
7: is <laughs> Seriously. Love so I can't, I can't close the phone until I get cut off, which will happen soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I, do think we, we, I don't know. We do do may have been
2: cut off already. Dumb anything. man, a hot fucking... Is this your it like it's hot.
7: <laughs> word.
2: Wow. <That's laughs>
3: <it. That's
7: laughs> oh, my God. I love you,
3: Sammy. I wish you were
7: here now. So Again, other than three hours, I wish you were really in my house. Yeah, I wish you were loaded with thoughts, man. <laughs> it's like four in the morning. It's only five in two hours. That's not happening. And after this voicemail, I'll advise what time I did? And so your wife is awesome for having Your wife is it's pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah, we're all gonna be approved. like drinking change. Your baby is kick-ass. Your baby's <laughs> pretty fucking kick-ass. Your baby told me, me which is really good. So <laughs> I, I like that. Oh, <laughs> <man." laughs> That's a good baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's a solid baby. He's a multitasker after the age yeah, of four months. I didn't months. say anything inappropriate. <laughs> Christine said that, but she's also <laughs>
3: drunk, <laughs> so we can't <laughs> take her word for it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah,
7: there was a finger given. There was a finger given. Did she put finger thumb up? If she stuck her thumb up, it doesn't count. No. no, if you do the like, look, my my thumb is up, and my finger is up. It's not. It's like saying shoot instead of shit. I fucking hate the thumb up and the finger. Did anybody else feel the same way? I don't know.
3: Uh,
6: I don't know, but I feel like it's a, it's in air quotes so. though.
7: It's kind of, well, that's true. Well, like, no, that's you my thing. See. Giving really the song boring. with the finger off is like doing an air finger. Yeah, we're talking to this guy and Will, and, and Samurai. Right.
8: Well, I'm talking to
3: you. Yes. This is weird.
8: It's, I my brain. I, I feel like the guy... And you lost Tyler on like, I'm on the phone.
1: Somebody's slurred there.
7: Instead, it's more like I'm on the phone. I'm drunk and standing next to you. We're in the lounge next to Christina and Dylan's hotel room. And somehow, management hasn't come up to kick us out yet. And so we've been here for like four hours drinking a lot. Oh, it is a miracle. We have up listening to Shotay Records next door. And he hasn't complained. Richard is on fucking TV right now. Richard Pryor, officially the pimpish room. We're in the pimpish (laughs) room. How we roll? Our know, episode's gonna be long. Let's cut this off now. Uh-huh. It's be fucking
3: three hours anyway.
7: <laughs> yeah, but then you, everybody. I'm gonna give it like i am I'm gonna give a PSA about figuring out how to accidentally have your iPod play your podcast in double time because it will make you get through your podcast in a week. Oh, sooner you could do that? Accidentally do it. Accidentally fucking hang up. <laughs> I can't. I'm used to getting cut off. This is weird. I may have been cut off like 10 minutes ago. I don't know. I don't know we might have been talking to ourselves. I don't really? know. Anyway, closing thoughts.
1: <laughs> closing or, thoughts.
7: Well, That's a Hi. Closing thoughts. Uh, This was like the player's ball for nerds. Right. Closing <laughs> thoughts. Will. <laughs> I love Henry Silva, Robert Mitchum, and Daniel Green. <laughs> closing <laughs> thoughts. Dylan. Dylan's got to stop talking <laughs> with <laughs> J&B. Nothing, nothing, really? I'm closing that mission. Always remember, I have
4: cold big spoon. <laughs> I don't
7: know what that means. But closing those Emily, I'm probably cut off by now, so I'll just go. We love you. I don't even have
1: more freedom. They thought it hung up, but it goes on for another 40 seconds. I don't know. <laughs> Muffle muffle.
3: Alright,
7: we're nine AM.
1: Waiting for some incriminating evidence.
3: Oh my god! <laughs> I don't
2: even That's re the scissor comments. Oh. Show show.
1: And it finally ends. Yeah, <laughs> nah. poor poor Christine. She
2: uh Matt yelled out something about and you'll hear this on show show. Uh Matt yelled out something about Christine wanting to scissor Katie, which you know. Was made Christine being the, the shy demure last that she is very embarrassed and she felt bad as if she said it and she I kept saying no you didn't say it Matt said it the same guy that told Bill to smoke his weed dick and said he was going to bukaki you so. yes
1: bukaki my go yeah much <laughs> I appreciate Matt thank you very much.
2: Didn't leave till 11 that day, five hours after I said I would.
1: Yes, uh, that when I was there that night, I was there with my son and my wife, and we were all having a good time, and Will kept saying, yeah, man, I'm hitting the road at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and I just kept watching the liquor flow, and I was like, ooh, man, he's not hitting the road at 6 My wife kept saying, he's not driving at 6 o'clock in the morning, is he? I was like, I highly doubt it.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, because at 4, I had, I had a Heineken in my hand. I was like, 6 isn't happening. <laughs> yeah. you know. But to my credit, I was up at like... 8.30, and I got to say, man, everyone mobilized very quickly all weekend. Like, <laughs> It'd be like, I'd text someone, okay, uh, 9 o'clock, let's meet in the lobby. Sure enough, everyone was there, man. It wasn't like, you know how you go uh, in a group, Sammy, and it's like, holy fuck, you're waiting for three people, and it's just yes. a mess. Like, mobilization happened very quickly.
1: Yes, I, it, was an, it was an impressive weekend, and uh, that's just a, a sample of the good times that were had. <laughs>
2: uh. Yeah, it, it was one of the best weekends of my life. I yes. had you know so many good people. So
1: so many good people. Such a good time. All right. Uh, so that is our show for this week. Uh, if you want to get into the pleasantries, I'm going to try to go find a teddy bear to make my son more interested in that. Then he is staring at me and making ugly faces like he's going to cry. Yeah, no,
2: fair enough. And I do want to say the irony in that, Sammy, before you do that is... Emily can be walking on the street her phone cuts off yet she flails it around drunkenly like <laughs> nunchucks and it somehow doesn't hang up
1: yeah it sounds like her phone so. calls might be more consistent when drunk yeah yeah no
2: <laughs> doubt but uh, I guess I can scratch the horror huh, weekend in November thing off uh, but there is one in Indy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it but I want to try
1: yeah that, try. always just give it a shot you never know yeah
2: but we'll we'll be getting together as soon as we all can but um, anyway in any event uh, check out our sister shows OTC and Show Show for more drunken shenanigans uh, check out our, our dear friends and fellow Palover, Paloveranians uh, I don't know if that is it I'll just use it this one time and see uh, Family Movie Night, Chin Sugar vs. Punner 35 millimeter Heroes Cinerama, N-O-T-L-P who were the hosts in the Queen City and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people uh, Girls on Film we had a few of the Girls on Film with us Big Red Podcast, the voice of our show of course, Movie Meltdown who were also in the Queen City, Paleo Cinema the podcast is Red at Sundown, Cinecultania, V Cinema, Action Attraction. The metal one was there and did buy a can of Viennese sausages <laughs> as a souvenir, ironically. Yes. And that is, in all seriousness, Yes, Better in the Dark, uh, the Gore Press Gorecast, the hammockus cast. Um, and actually, I got a, a message, I haven't really read at all, but... Um, Brian wants to know how everyone's finding Hamakus because he's gotten much larger numbers than he thought he would out of the gate mm-hmm. so maybe if you guys can send him a distant message and say GDTMC or blah 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 whatever it is um, I Can has podcast of course and the Glee cast and while you're at it head over to paracinema.net to check out truly our favourite couple in the NYC putting out um, you know, a wonderful magazine our favourite genre magazine uh, that's of course Paracinema 25 bucks for uh, an annual subscription um, really cheap, you can't beat it, and you're helping out two amazing people in the yes. process. Yes, yes. Um, and Christine needs to buy more ninja shoes, so <laughs> <There we> go. <laughs> you gotta help a girl out. <laughs> uh, TV. our good friend Mike, and HorrorCommentary.com, of course, for the Windy Cities, Sean. And blogs we have Pickle Loaf, uh, Rupert Pumpkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Rach on Film, Chuck Norris State My Baby, Death Rattle 13. Uh, Heaven's Trash, Lightning Bugs Lair of course the bug was also there all weekend with his lovely wife and her friend mm-hmm. uh, Naked Eskimo, Big Suck Loser Funky16corners.lunarpages.net Region Incognito Fist of B-List uh, Stinking Paws Shiftless and Shasta which is of course good friend of the show Shiftless's blog, I keep meaning to mention it and of course The GGTMC um, otherwise uh, for vendors and such you can check out CDB which is Cinema Bazaar. For all your hard to find genre needs, promo code Gentlemen for 10% off your orders. Uh, in two weeks' time, we will finally be getting back into them. Yes. And uh, otherwise, of course, in one week's time, actually, that's the week after next, we'll be getting into an OMG entertainment.com film. Right. Promo code GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders. Other than that, iTunes reviews are always great. Friend us all on Facebook. Yes. You can see lots of shenaniganery. I don't know if that's a word, but. You know what I mean? Yep. Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com backslash ggtmc, Large William Pickle of 10, Rupert, no, Bob Freelander. Yes. Uh, we have a donate <laughs> button. If you want to fund a trip for us all to go ziplining in Borneo, uh, you can do that. <laughs> wow. And uh, otherwise, Kringle. We got about one more week. We're getting a lot of people, actually, for Kringle this year, man. It's going to be good.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, every time I turn around, another one's uh, send an email in, so pretty yeah. surprised.
2: So quite nice. Uh, I'll tally them all up and then just email everyone. If you haven't gotten... A response email from me saying, okay, here we go, uh, by the 3rd or 4th of December, hit me up. And that means I've somehow forgotten. So that's it. Uh, What are we covering next week?
1: Well, I'm just going to go over what we're we're covering all together and give you a kind of a rest there. A lot of thank yous. Um, We are, uh, Rupert Pupkins coming back on the show, Gun O'Brien, and uh, he's picking a film called uh, Going in Style, which is a George Burns, Lee Strasberg, and Art Carney, I believe film, kind of a buddy film. Uh, we'll talk about that more next week. And then he had asked me about your, and oddly enough, your is on our roadmap. It's on my roadmap, actually. And it, it seems kind of poignant to cover your because Emily just saw the your trailer for the first time uh, like five, four or five days ago at Horrorhound. Yep. I showed it to her, so... And she was pretty amazed. <laughs> As one would rightly be, watching Yore.
2: <laughs> Loincloths and lasers, <laughs> yes. winning combination since
1: 1983. Yes. So... That is what we're covering next week. Be your hunter from the. Fu- is it called Hunter from the Future or is yep. it? Yeah, okay, that's what it is. your hunter of the future and uh, Hunter from the Future, I should say, and Going in Style. So, some films that are slightly different, to say the least, I would say. <laughs> um, I wonder if Lee Strasberg taught Red Brown how to act.
2: <laughs> very possible.
1: <laughs> yes, but uh, that is what we're going to be covering next week. Um, other than that, I think that is just about it. Uh, as you hear this, there's the, there was five hours between feedback beginning and feedback ending. All kinds of issues, but you'll never be able to tell the difference other than the fact that I just told you. <laughs> yep, is. All right, so uh, we're going to say, uh, I guess, adios until next week. Adios. adios. Yeah, there we go, adios. Let me see if I can get the music playing again. Jesus. Here we go.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman... At 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail